Welcome to Mechanations, a critical analysis and rewatch podcast where, damn it, this week we've got some super robot. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I am your host, Ignis Maddox, one of your hosts, Ignis Maddox, and I'm joined as always by my co-hosts and good friends, Stephen Hero and PMC Trilogy. Hey, boys. We're we're back for Goat Geass again. You know, I know we're here for a little while, so maybe it's a bit soon for me to be like, ah! But, like, as I, as I predicted last week, I'm starting to feel... I'm starting to feel the pressure of having to do new things coming down on this show, and uh, and I'm I'm already episode seven. <laughs> this is some silly shit. It's, it's funny what? that you mentioned that because I look at my first note on my uh, note sheet, sheet here, and it goes, "I think my relative quote unquote enthusiasm for R two is beginning to wane." Oh, I mean, let's we'll 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 get into it, but as per usual with our podcast, we like to start off by warming things up by kind of checking in on each other. Uh, PMC, I usually pass that off to you. How you doing? I'm doing well. I, I had a the fun experience. I I love playing old video games that are sort of in my wheelhouse that I'd never played before. It's a very strange experience where you can clearly tell that something exists in a you know a genre that you're otherwise familiar with, but you just didn't get to this particular work. And uh, so recently, I had the experience of playing the 1998 first person shooter Sin. Uh, which is available on things like Steam and GOG. Incredibly 90s aesthetic. It's got the very typical 90s thing of huge crime cities. Um, and Can I say real quick? Yes, please. <laughs> I really enjoy um, the art that you posted for it because I really love how the S is one butt cheek, the I is the middle, and then the N is the other butt cheek. And I know that they, they certainly weren't trying that, or maybe they were, but it's a very, like late 90s style of like edgy cool guy where they accidentally back into something pretty homoerotic but anyway mm. go, go ahead <laughs> i mean the main character's name is john blade uh, <laughs> and his Perfect. nickname his nickname is rusty so he's rusty blade oh no rusty venture that doesn't seem like good. That's ugh, and you're ugh. and you you're like check super, that out. super hacker tech sidekick is uh is jc who oh. is apparently supposed to be going off of um, of John Romero. It's sort of a John Romero parody. Oh, mm. okay, sure. Does he have long hair? No, not this one in particular, but but definitely a oh. lot of like 90s action movie where you have the, mm. the tough guy and the hacker sidekick. Like that is that's the only Hacker dynamic man. socially we have in the game. I'm I'm almost I think I'm in like the final level, but that's really the only thing going on. Those are the only two male friendships, though. That's the, that's the only two ones that you can have. There's no others. I'm, I'm, they don't exist. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> but you've been enjoying it so yeah. far. No, it, it's definitely, you know, it's it's one of those games, if you want a first-person shooter to play through, you can pick it up real cheap, probably on a, you know, again, Steam GOG sale, and, and play it, and it'll, it'll be fun. It, one thing I will say as for making it stand out is that it does have um, some uh, forking in terms of how you get from one level to the other. You can find different solutions. There's very sort of rudimentary physics things going on, s- secret areas. It's kind of got that, you know, like like how old Doom and Quake games had secret areas that you could find. And let you know, that you found a secret. It's got some of that stuff. Um, so, you know, just kind of a, a, I think something that probably people forgot about because in the same month, Half-Life 1 came out. And Half-Life 1, pretty good game. A lot of people like that game, so you know, perhaps understandable, but uh, worth a trip if you're a, an FPS enthusiast. Ninety eight was such Ooh. a good year. You got that. You got Xenogears. 
I think Ocarina of Time was 98. You got Metal Gear Solid. 97 I know and 98, yep. That's definitely 98, too. Good year. I think Mega Man Legends as well that year, or just the year before. Wow. I think Legends is 98, but yeah, I mean, tons of stuff. You know, Parasite Eve, we, we could go on and on. You know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are good. Yeah, that was a period where it was just banger after banger. After FF7, Square was just doing all sorts of crazy shit. Mm-hmm. I think we've talked about this before yeah, in some, for some sure. degree. What about you, Steven? Yeah. What are you doing? Oh, no, PMC. No, I'm no, sorry. I'm, I, I'm, I, was, I was handing it off. I was ready to... I said, right. PMC, sit down. You're done now. <laughs> you're like uh, that, that shitty scene from the, the episode nine. You're, to give, you're Luke giving me the lightsaber. Because uh, I finished Fallen Order, and I really liked it. Um, I was a little... The, the ending kind of walked ass backwards into a critique of the Jedi, which I'm fine with, but... the. Do you want to go into spoilers real quick? Can I drop some uh, uh, oh, Fallen please. Order bombs on I you? I am immune. I, I have seen much of it, and I've seen... And some of it kind of plays into Rebels also, so mm. that that kind of thing does pop up. But anyway, continue. Vader shows up. That That's my biggest issue. Vader's presence, like, breaks the tonal aspects of that game. Like, I know I really d- dig uh, getting to know a group and getting to know a crew that up until this point I have never met before, and there's a warmth between these characters, and I'm looking forward to exploring those connections in the inevitable sequel that hasn't been announced, but it's basically been announced, Fallen Order 2. But I hope so. Yeah, I'm really, I'm, I'm really peaked. I was doing a little research. It looks like if it does drop, it might drop uh, next fall, fall of 2022. But Vader shows it- up, and like it just... He sucks all the air out of the room. It's less egregious than Rogue One, but I really chafed against it. It turned the, the like the last mission to kind of like a roller coaster of spectacle, kind of like the end of Bioshock as well, because I really don't like the final boss of Bioshock 1. That's a classic criticism of that game. And Vader just like structurally and tonally, not breaks it, but uh, I, I got some whiplash. Similar whiplash to Final Fantasy VII Remake with Sephiroth 2, but that's a whole other bag of snakes. But yeah, can I can I I, I want to pick at that a little bit because I not not to say that you're you're wrong to feel that way necessarily, but I I think that's something that comes up a lot with like new Star Wars, new with an NU is is this kind of feeling of like ah I kind of want it to do its own thing for a little while, not feel kind of emboldened or mm. like uh, burdened with the basically the Skywalkers, right? That's that's kind of the thing I'm, I'm uh, invoking right now is Mando Pando with Luke Skywalker and, and then here with Vader. Um, and I think the thing that's going to be tough forever about Star Wars versus other things is that I think with Star Wars, because it is everyone's thing, I, I think that your average... I think you and I are science fiction people and would be fine to receive a science fiction story that happens to be in the setting of Star Wars. I think there is an innumerable, like, conglomerate of people who, when buying a Star Wars video game, if Darth Vader did not appear, would be very upset. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I I just think that this is a tension that Star Wars will never be able to get away from. Yeah. I don't don't think... The commercial aspects of its origin, unfortunately, are just too deep-seated. I mean, everything is... Things like that, products from a corporation, are always going to be quote-unquote commercial, but especially Star Wars. It's uh, part and parcel of the brand. See, for me, it's not even the commercial thing. That's not even what I'm, I'm, I'm working or invoking, really. It's more just that, like, if I am, uh, if I pick up, um, a space piece, a different science fiction setting, I, I understand when I open that up that there isn't gonna be guaranteed a Darth Vader somewhere in here. 
Mm-hmm. But a Star Wars piece of ephemera, especially in that setting where you're at, which is right at the end of the Clone War when the Empire is basically at the peak of its power, like in no matter what, even if the story never goes to Darth Vader, in my mind as a, let's say, Star Wars normie, let's invoke like a very low interaction, low Wikipedia Star Wars normie, I'm thinking like Darth Vader is somewhere. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, Obi-Wan Kenobi is somewhere, right? I, I hope I run into them. Like, I don't know. I don't feel like that's a crazy... I'm not... Again, I'm not saying you're wrong to feel like I, I sort of wish we didn't go into Darth Vader or whatever. Like, the Inquisitors serve that role just fine. Like, we can invent more Inquisitors. But, like, I, I feel like there's also a tension there for people who aren't as engaged and are picking up a Star Wars product and would like to have... Like, part of the Star Wars fantasy, if you're playing as a Jedi, would be the chance to, you know, run away from Darth Vader. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, it is... I I get what you're saying, but I, I feel like it's also a little bit, like... I don't know how to put this. Unrealistic, I guess. Like, I, I feel like there's a demand for this sort of thing because it wouldn't otherwise exist. Like, it feels corny, right? It feels like we're inundated with Luke Skywalkers and Darth Vaders in pop culture because we're aficionados we we they're like the show we're talking about today is about darth vader right like but for someone who's like i'm thinking of like i don't know like my older brother who who doesn't go into like the novels and the extended canon or like you know maybe reads the comic books but doesn't go too much further than that like he might want to play a video game where darth vader sits up he might want to see what it looks like when luke skywalker beats up a whole bunch of droids and I, I know my bro- older brother listens. I hope he doesn't mind me using him as an example because he's not really like, like I'm trying to not to invoke like some kind of Star Wars rube because like if anything, that person is living a blessed life. Mm. <laughs> I wish them their best. Um, but I, I kind of, um, I feel like this, this kind of reminds me of when um, uh, Pokemon Let's Go was coming out. Um, not the, uh, not the phone game. The uh, uh, Switch game that was like a simplified take on the red, blue, green, Kanto versions of the game. The Let's Go Pikachu and Let's Go Eevee, yeah. I think. Yeah, those and are right. And th- there was a period where there was like, I don't want to say concern, but there was talk about like, they might just move in this direction for, for Pokemon games from now on. Where it's like these ones were that are more like the ones that you and I played when we were 10, 11, 12 or whatever... Uh, are going to be more simplified and more, more, you know, like streamlined and more aimed at a five to six year old kind of bracket. Um, and like sometimes that, that kind of happens to franchises. Like the thing that's tough about, not tough, but just true about nerdy franchises is that they're completely out of your control, right? Like that's, that's part of why we get the ridiculous reactions to things like The Last Jedi or, or even Rise of Skywalker or, or actually just the new trilogy in general and the prequel trilogy is because there's this sense of like, ah, like why can't it just be the specific flavor of cool I want in my head? Um, and so Star Wars is always going to feel pressure to deliver things that are Star Wars specific, right? And that's going to include Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader and fucking Han Solo and Chewbacca. Like, obviously there is a desire, a thirst for, like, you know, I would, I would, like, I, I hear Dr. Afra is really, really cool. I'd be interested in some sort of take on that. Dr. Afra is like an imperial Dr. House, basically, mm. where it's like 
a kind of uh uh she is like a uh medical like uh uh indiana jones kind of but she's like she doesn't work for the empire but she does take jobs from the empire that sort of thing like like there's obviously people have interest in that sort of thing but they the people who are making star wars stuff are not making it for that specific like you and me market they're making it for like you know pmc's parents who are now on disney plus have heard from their zoom meeting that everyone's watching wandavision Right, like that—that's what they're making it for now. Not that's not even knocking on division, mm-hmm. which is all right so far. <laughs> like, so it, it's just that that's kind of the landscape we're in now. I'm sorry that I've been going on about this for a while, but no, it, it's just no. I completely agree. It's just uh, it's a it's a very me thing. It's just that like Vader's very Vader's characterization in the game comes off as a caricature. Like I'm getting a Vader from another universe, and for me, it like te- it it not tears, but it definitely diminishes the the already established reality. Like, the Saul Guerrero cameo I thought was great, a fit-in. Same with, like, a very brief Obi-Wan, uh, like, one-off earlier in the uh, the game. It's just, I don't know, I didn't need Vader at the end. But, yeah, I, I get the reasons that he's in it. Yeah, Saul Guerrero, the, the Saul Guerrero in that game is, like, my what I wish Saul Guerrero was like in the canon of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, he's not really like that uh, writ large. Um but yeah, it's a fun, cool game. Did you have any other thoughts before I didn't completely mean to hijack no, your, your talk about it? No, you're good. So the the whole MacGuffin of the game is that you're tracking down this holocron. I think that's what it's called. Um, holocron, yeah. Holocron, yeah. Grease, one, uh, the, the pilot who I really like, he always mispronounces it. Or holocron. You know what? Who gives a fuck? I don't know. I wish I didn't correct <laughs> you right there. And it contains uh, all information of Force-sensitive children that the Jedi collected before the Jedi was purged. And I, I should have been able to predict that they would have destroyed it, but I was worried that they'd keep it, and then Fallen Order 2 would be you going planet to planet and, like, collecting these boys and girls. But I'm really glad it didn't go down that route. The game isn't meant to criticize the Jedi Order. That's not why it exists. Same with the prequels. I'm a little bit of a spicy take there. But it kind of walks ass backwards into that critique because it does apply some pressure to our main character, uh, Cal Kestis, basically saying, do you know why, like, should you be tracking down these children without their consent? Should you be potentially enlisting them in this battle? And it lightly presses up against that, which I appreciate. And the sky's real open for Fallen Order 2. I don't know which direction they're going to take. It sounds like they'll just be fighting the Empire on their own, doing little odd jobs here or there, and I, um, I'm all there for it because the bonds between the cast have been really well established. The um, the Mantis is the name of the ship, and it has a very homey feel. There's this nice thing you can do, because you go planet to planet, and you pick up little seeds, and you plant those seeds in your ship, and you watch them grow, and it's little touches like that that really make the Mantis very personable. Plus, I think the design kicks ass. You could customize the Mantis, just like you can customize your own lightsaber, and those little touches are fantastic. Respawn is really good with shit like that. Yeah, I think that if they if they stick to the sort of narrative construction that they that they've done with that game and and i don't know i i'm maybe not the person to talk to you about level design because i'm like just give me a hallway like like that's that's what i like about devil may cry 5 and bayonetta 2 is that like they are just like i don't know a hallway with more things to fight fuck it we don't care anymore we'll just make it a gorgeous hallway so like but i did find the construction Obviously, it was meant to be something you were meant to navigate. That's, like, mm-hmm. the idea behind it. Um, but I also got kind of sick of it. Like, I was more interested in 
the moment-to-moment puzzles of the combat than I was navigating the the terrain. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how you balance that. That's just a your mileage may vary sort of thing, in my opinion. Yeah, I, um, I prefer the combat just because uh, that Metroidvania itch was scratched with this game for me. I will say, like, Metroid Prime, great, great, great game. The back half of that game has not aged well. Uh, there's a lot of tedious combat, and I did not find that tedium in Fallen Order. Now, perhaps that's because I was playing on easy mode. I would have maybe experienced some more tension and frustration if I were playing at a higher difficulty level. See, I think I would be all in on the exploration. I have not played the game myself, but I feel like I would be all in on the exploration, which I guess is to say there is a chasm between us. <laughs> well, so I, the thing that, that ends up happening is, is not that like the the act of exploring mm. itself is, is like frustrating. It's that you get to a point you can't go on anymore, and then you need to work your way back mm-hmm. to your ship to leave to go to someplace else. I found that I, I did not enjoy that. I did hear uh, there was needless backtracking. Uh, that is a, it, a criticism I've heard voiced. They stretched out some of the content with the four or five planets. That's definitely an issue. I, I, I see. I, I don't necessarily mind backtracking. I think that the backtracking needs to be as constructed as the for tracking <laughs> like i think that that you can tell when backtracking is done well and when it's not like you know like there's there's a lot of um uh uh taking for granted you can do sometimes with the setup of backtracking it's like okay we know it takes this amount of time when you're moving just straight forward so that if they have to just move back through this space then it will take this amount of time like i get that mm-hmm. you know you got to make games i understand any other, any other last fallen? What is it called? Fallen Order, Last Jedi? <laughs> That's out. No, Star fallen Wars Order. Jedi: Colon Fallen Order. <laughs> so I imagine uh, the sequel will be Star Wars Jedi: Colon Something. It probably Found won't be Jedi. Last Order, Fallen Order Two, or Picked Up Order. Okay. <laughs> um, not uh, really. I, I watched um, two episodes into Wandavision. Don't really have any major thoughts. I appreciate how experimental it is, but I don't. I'm not like. Uh, when I am, I, I this I differ in this regard from other people and some peers of mine. I don't like to, like, assert. I don't like to trick a text as I'm watching it. Like people like to like write down notes. I, I mean, I write down notes on something for the podcast, but like I'm not like picking up on all the clues in Wandavision, connecting them to the greater universe, trying to predict the ending eight episodes ahead. I'm just enjoying the ride right now, and I really appreciate Wandavision for its callbacks to like 1950s, 1960s television, which I'm somewhat well versed or somewhat versed in so i appreciate it for those touches and i really appreciate it for the chemistry uh between the two principal characters it's nice to see paul bettany have some fun oh yeah 100 percent. if there is a value to it it is that uh, elizabeth olsen and paul bettany are great they have a great chemistry and they're having fun in the bits uh of course like my fellow kirk cohen's i have a giant magnifying glass that i'm taking to the show <laughs> and i'm looking and i'm saying mutants mutants mutantes you know, and eh, probably not. I don't think that's kind of a big idea in a show that's already bringing up a couple of apparently too big. I don't know. That's a different conversation for a different podcast. I'm just hoping probably, the ending but... doesn't rip my heart out. That's all. Oh, I mean, too late. I mean, what? One of these two are dead. <laughs> like, it better not be the one who is a master and commander. That's all I'm like, saying. Is, I'm just saying, like, I don't want to be like, you know. It's already quite bad, but one of these two got their brain ripped out in a movie quite recently, and the the show has not, in, in, at, at this point, explained to us why he seems to be fine yet. So I'm sure, I'm sure it's going to go just fine. Everything's going to be A-OK. <laughs> It'll be fine. It'll be okay. Don't worry about it. 
I'm yeah, hoping exactly. they I'm hoping they lean into those commercial instincts and go, you know, we could really market this for another three or four seasons. Uh, I mean, I don't know. It seems like people don't like the cute sitcom yeah, thing that they're doing. They want it they want like it all dropped day one. It's just, I, like I don't know. I don't want to. I feel like people have been mean about the show just because of flavor, and like I don't want to get into that. It's whatever people yeah. are going to watch or not watch what they want to do. But like, I, I feel like this has been good, and and I feel like uh, the the instinct to like make it more indulgent is a one that will blow up in their faces. Like I, I think they that. They're getting uh, arrogant because of what Mando Pando allowed them to get away with, and I and I fear for for what that abuse of power will lead to. I I do I still do have my giant magnifying glass that I am lifting to each moment. And mutants, mutantes, you know, I'm I'm looking. Uh, but yeah, the, I I just think it's cute. I I just like, you know, I've talked about drawing the whole cake before from Steven Universe and uh, how how that refers to being a sucker for. Uh, fictional romances and and I, I just like watching these two. I think they're cute. I, I got I, you know I got emotional when they're they're magic king rings and uh you know oh uh, you said you're only two episodes in right? Yeah, I haven't watched the latest episode. Yeah, there's there's uh uh, uh you know uh, uh, comic book stuff. There's comic book stuff happening here and it's and it's neat and I like it. All right, I um I rambled about Star Wars for like I want to say ten minutes, so it's I I'm ready to skip my my thing, uh, which is the same thing it was last week. But I I don't I'm not gonna. There's no way to talk about this or explain it without taking at least like fifteen minutes, and I don't want to do that to you guys. So I promise, if I'm not over it next week, I'll explain <laughs> what it is. Excellent. I just I did a thing already, and I would feel bad. I know PMC. As PMC is, is you all is pointing his, his pistol to the screen right now, and he's saying, "Ignis, please, please move on from this." Point, pointing my GameCube <laughs> controller at you. Yeah. Oh no! Even more deadly dangerous. than a gun. You'll get your thumb <laughs> caught in it. <laughs> yeah, my thumbs. Oh no! <laughs> the deep PMC lore. Um, <laughs> but to be honest, I, I think there's a lot to talk about with this week's fair for Code Geass, so I can go ahead and move us on to, to the Code Geass talk, if you guys are ready. Yeah, I'm ready for a surprise attack. Yeah, is it a surprise? I guess it is. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go. Speaking of regret, <laughs> Earl Asplund. Sorry we're late. Adjusting Lancelot took longer than we thought it would. All right, so Code Geass, turn six. I didn't label it. That's fine. I always forget to do that. All right. So Nunnally is the new Viceroy. What does she know? Uh, the leech has no time to find out, but thanks to Rolo, he communicates to Nunnally that he can't acknowledge that he knows her. Nunnally plays along, but this does confront the leech with an uncomfortable situation. What does he do now? The whole idea behind the zero thing was to bring about a world for Nunnally, so to speak, but now Nunnally's got one. I guess we'll kidnap her? What seems like a successful nabbing is interrupted once by Gilbert and Anubek, twice by the Knights of the Round, and then finally three times by Rakshada and the other Black Knights in a submarine. During the many twists and turns of the battle outside, Lelouch as Zero makes it to Nunnally. Nunnally puts on her brave face and what she thinks to be her enemy, denounces his actions against Clovis and Euphemia, and essentially stuns Lelouch. Before any real exchange can occur, Sazaku detects where Nunnally is located, rushes to her side, and takes her away from the rapidly falling vessel she was in. 
I forgot to bring it up in my summary, but the last note of the episode is is Lelouch doing a, a real good and and uh, not only you know using her daredevil powers, uh, picking up that that sounds like Lelouch. You know, I don't think uh, either Johnny Young Bosch or Jun Fukuyama do a whole whole lot to for their like uh, uh, I'm not wearing hockey pads voice, but that's just me. You know, it's fine. I'm I'm willing to accept that nobody else recognizes that Zero's voice is Lelouch. That's fine. I'm totally fine with that. So, turn six, uh, which is not labeled. Steven, do you have the label for me for turn six? Surprise attack over the Pacific. <laughs> is it really? <laughs> PMC just nods sagely. All right, that's fine. He was waiting to smack me in the face with the title of that episode. That's okay. I deserve that. It does pick up right away from where we last left off on on the i almost called it the 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 ceiling that's not right <laughs> on the roof of the school building uh with Luch making a classic code geass uh, uh panic face uh and i was i don't want to say stunned um because this is a move that season one suzaku would totally do right yeah but the thing about season one suzaku is that he would not do it intentionally with the purpose of revealing like if if this was a play a play it would be a completely unintentional one by Suzaku it would just be one for Lelouch to trip over but what we have here is a situation where Suzaku is like all right not only is his weak spot if this is real Lelouch he like he's read the script he knows that that uh, Lelouch cannot tell a lie like George Washington I think is that the fake thing with George Washington? Yeah, Washington can't tell, right? Because he's so honest. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, wooden teeth and can't lie. That sounds right. Um, uh, but uh, what this really allows for is a moment where uh, Rolo Tony Browntown can use his Dio powers in order to give Lelouch a moment to talk to Nunnally straight up. Now, before let's 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 let us return to the the moment that Suzaku deploys here. Uh, it, which is pretty cynical. Do, do you feel like this is... I, I guess I just want to know how you guys reacted to this. I was surprised, but I think maybe naively so. What do you guys think? I think I chuckled about it just because it was so interesting to me uh, that we're so quickly, right? Like in our previous set of episodes, we had a, a sequence of events where basically uh, Lelouch solved the Rolo puzzle and Rolo is now... Uh, an ability added to his toolkit and to have Rolo's ability to be deployed so effectively to finesse the situation. Right. Cause they're like, Oh, how, is, how is Lelouch going to wriggle out of this one? Uh, you know, and to see, you know, Rolo's, uh, uh, sphere of, of ice to be deployed in this way. Um, I think I just sort of, I just sort of laugh at it now when Lelouch does these things, you know, it's, it's almost, the. Uh, the, the the comedy like you know you know the page is going to get turned and you're just like all right let's see how it happens yeah i want to touch on, i want to touch on two things first off i want to touch on talking about suzaku's move so i, I agree it, it definitely comes across as cynical to me it's um there's something i don't want to say a character change because i think that'd be giving the writers here too much credit but i feel like season two suzaku is a little bit more world weary than season one i felt like season one had more of a kick in his step even though i didn't like his like ideological underpinnings but this suzaku is a little less i don't want to say joyful he's definitely he was never joyous to begin with i just feel like he was a little bit more 
impassioned than he is now. And I think that's the effect of just you might say it's the effect of being like grinding, grinded against the system or being a cog in the system. But that's also signaling that this might be a critique of the system. And I don't think it is. Um, what? Oh, go on. Oh, just, sorry. Go ahead. No. Th- oh, well. Yeah, go on. All I was going to say is that, I, that does get to something I, I was going to bring up, right? Which is that this is definitely a, a Suzaku who's been through more. Like, the the point of this Suzaku here is that he is a Suzaku who has, in in his mind, been betrayed by his best friend and has thus betrayed him right back by giving him to the shithead father. Like, something we knew about Suzaku from step one here is that, like, he has accidentally... In the same way that, that Lelouch accidentally finds himself in a position of, of power with the Black Knights, um, Suzaku, by, in light of fucking uh, Lloyd, finds himself in a position of power within the Britannian, like, structure. Like, he was, what was he, like, some kind of conscript or whatever at first? Yeah. Like, he was, like, a grunt or something. Right, he was, like, a Japanese, but they didn't. Was it the case they didn't even have guns or something, right? Because, like, he was definitely disposable. I mean, Britannians treated all of the Japanese disposable, but even in this case, when you were volunteering for service, you were still disposable. Yeah, there was, like, a section of, like, the Britannian army that was just uh, Japanese. But they're, of course, on the lowest end. And and like something that we're we're meant to experience as an audience is the the friction he experiences in those power structures, right? Because even as he is is lifted up by Lloyd and the Lancelot, like he still has to deal with. Even we'll see in episode seven, and maybe in this one too, we'll we'll see people. No, in this one too, we'll see people just you know kind of trying to get in his way just because he's Suzaku, right? And, and as an audience member, I understand that because he's a fictional character I don't like. But, you know, it's it's one of those things that the thing I, I rub up against or, or I keep bumping up against, rather, is like, what are they, as in the storytellers, what do they want us to take from this character's story? Because what we have here is a Japanese boy who pilots the hero mech and is doing what he thinks is best in order to change things for the better for his homeland, right? So he thinks that the best way to do that when faced with the Britannians is to join them and shift things from within however he can. Like, he has, I think, regardless of what we here at Mechanations feel about that, he has come to that conclusion in his best possible faith. The best possible faith for Suzaku, right? Mm-hmm. I, I do think he legitimately thinks this is just the best choice, right? Yeah. Um, and I and so what I'm trying to ask here is that we, as an audience, we follow Lelouch. Lelouch is our perspective character. Does And, and this will become complicated with Suzaku through Nunnally, in my opinion. I think this issue gets messier, which is to say, like, how does this text want us to feel how how does the text want us to feel about suzaku as a japanese person right like if if i'm a a a japanese audience member and i'm watching suzaku do i am i do i hate him do i do i am i meant to take away that his like discipline in the face of like this is the true horror would be to be in the in the belly of the beast and to be unable to change things from within right like am i am i meant to take away that this is some kind of truer discipline am i or is he like a a super sellout is he a, a, you know to make it american like a, a benedict arnold or what have you like you know i, I 
I don't know. I, I, I kind of – there's the, the cynic in me. You know, I, I, I share my, my rubric, my thoughts before we record here. And if you look to my last question here, I, there's a – there's always a part when I'm thinking about this stuff where I reach the inevitable conclusion that, like, because this is media for young people, there, there I, I there's a wall I hit where I'm like, I'm not sure – how seriously I should be taking this, right? Because Code Geass deals with some pretty heavy shit, but it's also an, a, a booby anime, right? Like, it, it is, right? And I, I don't want to, you know, belittle that, really. I want to take it seriously because that's kind of the... That's what our show is, right? And I struggle sometimes because I feel like it... And, you know, there is the, the easy answer if it wants to have its cake and eat it, too, but I want to know what you guys think. Do you guys feel like the show has a definitive take on Suzaku? Or is it a matter of when he's useful to the plot as this versus this? I, I, I share your cynicism in this regard. Suzaku, I haven't come to a definite conclusion yet. Um, I think season one wanted us to weigh Suzaku's actions and Lelouch's actions against each other and come to our own conclusions. I think the show is like pumping its chest and saying like, look at what, look at these deep philosophical thoughts we have. We have these two separate political views. We have, um, I guess, some sort of, it's a combination of bootlicking, though I certainly want to call it that, but like, I guess, incremental reform within a corrupt system. And then we have the illusion of revolutionary uh, action. We have these two things, and the show wanted us to basically choose which brand we would prefer, and I think the show, season one, really prided itself on that. Season two doesn't really do a lot of that grandstanding anymore. It's just, like, here are these obstacles in Lelouch's way, and that Suzaku is the obstacle, and I'm still wondering, like, how the show is going to fall on Suzaku. One thing I think the show is doing, I am pretty... Spoiler free, but doing the history, I swam in some waters, so I'm somewhat informed. I'm not really tipping my hand here. I think they are building up to a... They want you, the audience member, I think, to take account of Lelouch's actions here. I think that there's going to be some sort of sacrifice, maybe... I don't know what's going to happen at the end in that regard, but there's a scene later on in episode seven, uh, the fireworks scene, and you can kind of feel like it's the calm before the storm or like they're never going to have that moment again, and either it's going to end in a bloodbath or Lelouch is going to kick it. One of the two, but I think... I, I worry that... Here's the thing that's really grinding, my, causing a lot of friction with me as a, a viewer and as a critic. It's that... I don't think the show – the show sometimes talks the talk, but it doesn't walk the walk. So there are people with dissenting opinions of from my own opinions of Code Geass who, like, point to Code Geass and go, here, yes, it's accounting for your criticisms here, here, and here. It's addressing the fact that, you know, Lush Geass, surely without her consent. But it's not actually doing anything meaningful with that former action. But I think that the show is starting to take, like – account of Lelouch's actions in the most superficial way possible to build a, perhaps a greater critique or some sort of self-sacrifice on Lelouch's part. Yeah, I think there's... I, I'm with you, for the most part. I, I think that there is this have-your-cake-and-eat-it-too aspects to it all, where in in season one, I think they, they wanted their uh, a balance of like, well, who's to say, really? Like, that it really feels like the, the thing that they're trying to go for in season one. Um, and in season two, it, it definitely feels like emotionally they they've just don't care. Like, it's just like, whatever. This isn't as important as the momentum is. And 
maybe I agree, but I, I definitely keep tripping over this, and this will get more complicated when we get to Nunnally, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we we dealt with this issue a teensy-weensy bit with Euphemia, right? Like, Euphemia's plan to establish her own SAZ, like, was also kind of rife with questions about, you know, the, the responsibilities of, you know, colonizers <laughs> to the colonized, you know? Like, which is... Uh, I, I'm, we are maybe not the best equipped to really handle that subject here, but that's unfortunately what Kogias is talking about, which sucks, right? Because I, again, I'm not sure if I'm the sucker for treating it seriously when it's giving this to me, right? But it's fine, whatever. But it's, it's not, you know, we'll, we'll get there when we get there. Episode seven, I definitely have words for, um, Roll allows the Lutris to get away with this particular instance um, which is interesting because I kind of expected, I kind of expected Nunnally to give it away to Suzaku. Like once mm. Luch handed the phone back, I I kind of expected Nunnally to be like, "Yeah, we got right. him. He's he's <laughs> compromised." Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not saying here like, "Oh, I suspect Nunnally." I, what I'm saying is, I don't I don't know if I understand her point of view at all. Like, I I, I don't know if I and like. Part of it is just that this is like, you know, I there's a there's a portion of our audience that might just turn their brains off. Period. When I start this, but but I have to say it like there's a portion of this that is just normal anime misogyny where like female characters are allowed to exist as female characters, but to not really have in- internality at all. Mm-hmm. You know, like she's even now she's still kind of this weird sort of symbol of innocence for Lelouch, right? And like. It's just that this symbol of innocence has been captured by King Shithead or whatever. And, uh, like, I, I'm, I just don't understand, because the show, it's not really important to the show, like, her understanding of the breakdown of the world, right? Like, I don't understand her feelings about her father and their relationship to Lelouch and what Lelouch is doing now and why she's not, like, I just don't understand her take on any of this, right? And... If even if like later in episode seven we'll get a bit of dialogue from her where she's saying like I, I or no it's actually in this episode too where she's like I I suspected that Suzaku was lying to me but what I I don't know what to make of, of what Lelouch is doing like it would be a crazy thing for your your brother to be like you need to pretend I'm going to pretend that I don't know you and you kind of have to just play along and I can't tell I can't explain to you right now why um but I don't know I I I feel like. There's a part of me, and this is even an expression of what I'm talking about. There's a part of me that's having a hard time being mad at Nunnally about it. I mean, like, obviously it's not her fault because she's fictional. Like, obviously it's the the writer's fault. But I I feel like there's this weird thing where Nunnally is not expected to have an opinion on anything, mm-hmm. right? Like, where, like, she is only expected to be aesthetically pleasing and vulnerable, Right. And and I don't know. We'll see where the show goes with that, uh, I guess. Like, I was just surprised to hear there are so many rules for for Lelouch talking to, to, to Nunnally. Like, I, I, I you know, I, I called out in a previous episode how easy it was for Lelouch to deploy this tenderness as a weapon against Rolo. And like to hear that in his mind, like he can't like lie to Nunnally. Like, 
I don't know. What's the whole zero thing then, right? Like, yeah. if she asked you directly, are you zero, would you be able to, like... And that's maybe the drama that the show's trying to build up, and maybe that's why I, I should just leave it as is. But, like, you know, I, I feel like, in in my mind, that, that feels like oh, some... Like, I can see how that's, like, teenage rationalization that's happening. And so it's like, no, I'm not lying directly to her. Like, as long as she doesn't ask me directly if I'm zero, it's not lying well, to Nunnally. I mean, it's, that would be zero lying, really, not Lelouch. Uh, yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 Um, But no, uh, Lelouch gets away with another one, and Nunnally plays along, and, and the Ignis take his eye. I don't necessarily know why. Can I take um, a big dump on Rolo real quick? <laughs> Steven, you you don't need my permission to take a big dump anywhere. <laughs> good, good, good. Um, but especially not on Rolo Tony Brown time. I know I let you guys know I wanted to talk about Rolo, and this is uh, where I first like bumped on him in this these set of two episodes here. Um, so Rolo uses his Gios, and immediately when he uses the time stop powers, I'm like, that's why Rolo exists. It's for this like sole plot contrivance like my biggest issue with Rolo right now and this is going to continue throughout these two episodes and the first uh the first batch that we've watched so far is that he feels more like a writerly prop than like an actualized character i don't want to say a fully actualized character because i really don't think anyone in this show is fully actualized but what i mean by that is a character with some depth because in a world with so much like surveillance and secrecy, it seems like Rolo is just an excellent deus ex machina. Like he exists to get Lelouch out of situations like this instead of existing for the sake of existing. And that's something I want to track not only throughout these two episodes, but also throughout the show. It's just that there's nothing I can latch onto with Rolo. It, the show wants me to feel some sort of sympathy for his plight, and I get it. Um, he's definitely working through some trauma, but I don't know his relationship to Lelouch. It just seems either too forced or too convenient to tug on my heartstrings. And that's a real... I have a lot of friction with Rolo as a character because of that. So I, I have two thoughts on this. Um, PMC, I hope you don't mind. Please. Uh, uh, so my first one is in regards to the the Rolo as a character critique sort of point. Uh I think it's interesting how much this is related to the Nunnally point I was trying to make yeah. earlier. I, I, I think essentially what you're seeing here, and I don't think they did this on purpose. I, I think what you're seeing here is a kind of mirror reflection of the same sort of like, this character's not allowed internality in the same way. Mm-hmm. Like, in, in, and why that, what I mean is like, when you understand the mechanics of a character, like they they have a a sort of rule set that you can abide by and understand like uh you know t- we talked about Darth Vader earlier like Darth Vader is more likely when given a a chance to show mercy or do something honorable is more likely to not do that we we understand that internality right we would understand why he would make that decision you know largely just because we've been beat over the head by Darth Vader at this point um but Rolo, I think to speak to the second point you're making that you just don't know what to make of this character, I, and I think episode seven especially speaks to this, I think it's because this is an archetype that's not aimed at us. Like, I, I think this is an archetype, this this kind of, like, vulnerable but dangerous and and kind of creepy and and, you know, incestuous character is aimed at, you know 
freaky teenagers and that's 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 fine it's that's not something i'm like it's just that's the dynamic it's going for and whether that's successful or not is a different story right whether or not it's it, it worked for the freaky teenagers i i do not know um but the the thing that i think it's that's happening is that it just does nothing for us because it's not it you know it's not really for like i wouldn't be surprised if there's some zoomer who has like a mega contrarian take about how Rolo is like the best character of Code Geass that wouldn't surprise me at all because that's kind of what we're dealing with we're dealing with just an archetype that isn't for that like he's he's I think a a plot device like I was surprised to learn that like a different flavor Geass works on someone who's been previously Geass maybe that was established with Mao and I I don't know whatever that's fine um, I don't care. I, I guess th- it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> they can make up the rules with the Gs's. I'm not really paying attention to it. Um, but I agree because the time stop power appears to be specifically for this kind of thing where, uh, you know, famously for Star Trek, they would write one end of the cliffhanger and not have the resolution until they, they needed to come up with it, mm-hmm. you know. And that kind of feels like what we've got going on here. Like, you know, I, I wasn't. I mean, like, to be honest, the Nunnally thing, I, I didn't realize until this episode began that it was, like, this, like, trap, right? Like, Suzaku would have fucking got me because, like, I, I didn't realize that this was a thing that, depending on how, how uh, Lelouch responded, would tell Suzaku something until we came to this. So I didn't realize this was a thing that Lelouch would have to get out of. Like, I just thought he was shocked to learn that Nunnally was the Viceroy, right? And I guess it's part of it. Um... I don't know. Uh, this seems like if I was King Shithead, this seems like the easiest ploy, right? Because uh, like this is part of King Shithead's whole philosophy is that like he he understands all of these like weaker emotions and shit like that, and all he has to do is exercise some kind of straightforward pragmatic power play, and that will solve the whole. Like that's just King Shithead's whole worldview, along with his best friend Lucifer, you know. <laughs> Um, it's a scene where uh, he smiles and it's the most disturbing, unintentionally the most disturbing shit ever. Like he gives a, what he, seems to be like a genuine smile when he's talking to V2. Is he, who is he in English? Is he Richard Epcar or is he Michael McConaughey? I think it's Michael. It's not Richard Is Epcar. it Michael McConaughey? Yeah, 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 okay, yeah. yeah no, I believe that so. That would be very funny if it was Richard Epcar. I kind of wish. That would <laughs> be fucking excellent if it was Richard Epcar. Um, no, but, uh, yeah, uh, the, the thing with Nunnally here is, and Rolo, is that, with with Nunnally, I feel like we are we know what the shape of her Imagara fault hole is. We know where the, that what hole is made for her. And with Rolo, I, I think it's just unclear what the fuck is going on. It just seems like he got one of those um, time stoppers watches. Now that that seems like what Rolo is until until episode seven. I will say episode seven is when I crossed over the threshold of. This is for freaky teenagers, right? Before I was like, maybe. But in episode seven, I'm like, <laughs> oh, yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, so then we cut to uh, some more fucking Britannians. Uh, uh, we've got Gilbert Godfrey, and he's talking to some other fucking guy with comb back hair and a scar. Like, whatever. It's Kalaris version two. I, I don't know what this dude's name is. Um, I On my uh, rewatch, I like paid attention because, you know, I'm taking notes, and I want to refer to characters by their name. I was... <laughs> Is that a call-out? I... <laughs> fucking... PMC just got me. I just... I'm usually... No. Go- In Ignis's defense, I'm usually good at names, too, and I never I couldn't find his name. name. I don't know if I'm bad at paying attention, it, or if the dude... It's the end of the episode. Name. 
What's up? Oh, it, it definitely is in the end of the episode because I bumped okay. on it by the stint, bothered to write it down. Okay. Yeah, because they say that he's killed in action. Yeah. Someone okay. announces he's killed in action. I just didn't. Whatever. He, no, he I don't blame sucks. you. He doesn't, yeah. he doesn't need a name. He, he truly is Clarice, too. Like, that's, that's it. It doesn't matter because I think I'm blinded by the oncoming return of uh, 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 fan favorite, Mechanation's favorite, uh, uh, Lloyd, who is returning along I, with Miang. I think Lloyd is for the olds. We talked about Rolo being for the <laughs> Zoomers. I think Lloyd's for the olds. He definitely is. All right, there's a couple of moments. Listen, Lloyd also sucks. Let's be very clear <laughs> that Lloyd is a bad man and that Suzaku is not wrong when he says that he has many bad traits. <laughs> like, but he's delightful. Like, this is the thing I want to be very clear about is that I like watching him because he's funny to me outside of the fiction. But also, he's just as bad as all the other Britannians. Let's be clear. Like, when Kalen shoots him in the head later in the show, I don't actually know if that happens. I won't be sad. Yeah, when I they will have, not post that. When hopefully they have their Nuremberg trials, uh, definitely make sure that uh, <laughs> Lloyd's back's against the wall. It's funny that you mention that because I like to point out when our minds are in sync, when we're drifting. And I had the note, Lloyd is still as irreverent as fuck. And no matter how compromised his character is, I'm here for it. I need to touch. I, I say we just said this character is for the olds, which are, which means I have a perfect opportunity to bring up a question about Lloyd, uh, which is to say that uh, in in episode seven he enters a room and in the at least in the English dub announces out loud salutations and greetings, uh, which I feel like took me back. Did one of us used to do that I on did. AOL Instant Messenger? <laughs> Both of us did, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I was salutations. He was creative. I would okay. always say affirmative, or I think affirmative too, and then you corrected me once saying I was spelling the word wrong, which is a classic uh, Stephen Hero foible. For any writerly strengths that I have, I'm a terrible speller. So we've got, we got the, the entrance of, of uh, Void, and he's, and he's here to basically announce that he doesn't, he just doesn't fucking care. He's he's doing his thing. I don't like, you know, that's kind of the point of the scene is we haven't seen mm-hmm. him in forever. So like, the show needs to establish his thing of like, despite being an earl, despite being part of this structure, he he has no, he doesn't give a shit about it. He's not concerned about it. He has he has one concern, and it's robots, and I respect that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and he also loves to charge Prince Schneisel without telling him, which I also respect. That's a good move. Uh, so this is when we go into the intro. I don't really have any other, do we have any evolving thoughts about the song or the sequence before we, we get into the rest of the episode? Uh, no, no, I, no big deep cuts there. I think, the only thing I think now that I didn't recognize before, mm-hmm. I think the walking masked gentleman might be, um, uh, uh Kate Mulgrew, Jeremiah Gottwald. I, I, I now I've, I've, it can't quite. I can't quite make him out, but he might be that masked gentleman. I'm gonna call that shot here. I don't know if that's anything, but but I was in mind of Jeremiah this week because of uh, Would you like Gino's me invocation to confirm it. Oh, why? Was he? My partner I, so, confirmed it for me. Oh, okay. So, I was, so, so our, one of our listeners, Red Zaku, advised us to be paying attention to the the post credits, which I have been now because of that. And and I was like, wait, did I miss something? <laughs> that's fine no i respect that that's cool that's that's fine we'll see how uh i didn't know that crispin did a char before that's cool i didn't know crispin <laughs> had been a char before um but yes we're we're gonna cut back now to my favorite topic in code Geass, which is the chinese federation uh because i understand it extremely well 
And uh, we see uh, a character who uh, we recognize from season one being Princess Kaguya, who is meeting with, I guess, the sovereign leader of the Chinese Federation, or at least the ambassador for Japan. It seems like she's in charge, this, this like, uh, uh, child princess, uh, or what have you, whatever title she's got. Um, but this is when um, we're going to get the, the beginning of our um, Wheel of Time, Randolph Thor... Uh, Lelouch shit, where, um, uh, Steven, you didn't read Wheel of Time, right? I have not. We could talk about Race Dillon and Dragonlance, but not Wheel of Time. So, in Wheel of Time, uh, uh, Rand Althor, who is one of the main characters of the Wheel of Time, maybe the main character. Does he but, have red hair? But, yes, he, knew, is, he is a red-haired Aielman. Uh, but anyway, the, 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 the character meets a, another character who is a fortune teller, and this fortune teller character... Uh, is like, okay, you're going to have three girlfriends, and I'm going to be one of them. And Rand is like, sure. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, that, that big thumbs up big for thumbs Randolph up to Thor. <laughs> and, like, the thing about the other women is that they're all just kind of... Because you meet them as these... There's, like, I don't know, what, are, 14 books that Brandon Sanderson had to finish up the last one, I believe? Uh, uh, because Robert Jordan passed away before he could finish The Memory of Light. I think I thought um, it was like the last three, but again, I only I only read the first three, so don't don't pay if, attention to me. If you're going to read Wheel of Time, you can read the first three, and you that is per, a perfectly fine fantasy adventure. You will have a, a good time. It is good to stop there. I would say, <laughs> um, but yeah, this I feel like there's a similar thing that we're going. Maybe I don't remember. I don't think it comes up as much in this episode. I think it's the next episode where this is going to be a thing. Um, we got chess imagery. Fuck off. Uh, <laughs> I, I did want to call attention to, uh, some, I, I feel like transitions are not usually something we remark upon in Code Geass, but the transition of Kaguya saying, I have to get back to my husband and then immediately going to like board Lelouch, you know, with mm. his hand on mm. his face. Mm. I involuntarily laughed every time. It was good. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, it made me laugh. It was, have, it was good. I have one note about the Chinese Federation. Um, it kind of seems like they got nerfed in the transition to uh, R2. If you remember the few throwaway lines to the Chinese Federation in Season 1, it seemed like this this universe's version of like the People's Republic of China. And now we have like just one big geographic caricature. It's less egregious in Code Geass just because it paints with bro- everyone with these broad strokes. I mean, you're dealing with the Princess Kaguya, essentially. I, I just wanted to point that out. I thought when I imagined the Chinese Federation in season one, I was imagining something totally different than the Chinese Federation we got, even though we did see one like cutaway to Jin Kei at the very end of season one. I, I, this version just seems a little bit more either palatable or like, I don't know, for lack of a better term, not to be offensive, but a little dumbed down. Oh, I mean, palatable, it is definitely not. <laughs> like, I don't, I mean, I definitely can't speak for anybody, but this, I, I'm not sure about the high Unix or uh, I think, anything regarding... I think the regarding... high Unix is the most, and I'm no expert on this, of course, the most offensive Chinese caricature and stereotype that we've seen yet, and that's including Wu Fei. Yeah, I, I, that's what I mean, as far as, like, I don't, again, like, offensive, it feels like something that is, like, I would feel comfortable calling it offensive, but I certainly, I'm I'm no expert, I really, truly could not tell you if this is, like, oh, no, this is totally normal and reasonable. Knowing what I know about anime, probably not, is what I'd say, but, like, in general, it, it reminds me of, like, a broad strokes, like, you know, uh, if you ask someone to do a 
like poorly informed PowerPoint about this superpower or what have you. Um, but the, the one thing I will say about the chess metaphor, I was, I was dismissive about it, but it's very clearly, uh, the, the board and all the, the other pieces at play. And then we have Lelouch holding his own piece and then disrupting the whole board is, is the Nunnally origami piece, which is disrupted the whole board. Fine. You, you thought about it. You, you managed to make a chess metaphor that didn't involve knowing how to play chess. Kudos. That's fine. Um, I, I, I think that, uh, C2's tone here is interesting. She, she seems a lot more like sympathetic to the idea that the, like, this is kind of it <laughs> for her, Lelouch. Like, as far as like, you know, I, and maybe that's part of what she's trying to do here. She's trying to like push him to have a kind of realization about what he's been doing and what his real motivations are, what have you. Maybe that's what she's going for here. I just am a little surprised she's willing to entertain, like, I don't know, that because she even says, like, I know this is what your reason for living was, is the way that she she phrases it. Um, I, I don't know. I feel like, uh, you know, the question of how motivated now, I'm motivated now, how interested C2 is in this whole rebellion is like, you know, I'm I'm willing to accept that she doesn't really give a fuck about the emancipation of the Elevens. Um but I, I just found it interesting that she was kind of, it seemed like kind of willing to just kind of jump ship. <laughs> She's like, well, I mean, I kind of get it. And this is when V2 is, is invoked so that we can transition over to uh, uh, King Shithead and his best friend, Lucifer, uh, who I, I think is a, okay, so V2, who we can assume he's talking to here. It's not really called out specifically, but I, I assume this is V2. Um, the, the thing that they, they say out loud, which I say to you guys all the time, which, cause of course we have a contract and I usually state out loud the terms of the contract that I made with you guys. Cause Charles V. Britannia says, uh, I want to kill God. And his friend Lucifer is like, yeah, that sounds cool. So V2 to me, his immediate, the thing that I think of right away is, um, are you guys familiar with devil man or the more recent devil man cry baby? On Netflix. Only through not. pop culture osmosis. It's a little man, it's Go Nagai, uh, sort of uh, action horror manga. Very pretty famous sort of like superhero, almost sentai-y. Uh, it's violent and it has a lot of sexual content. Um, but uh, one of the things that's going on in that is that the there is a sort of rival character to the main character. And that rival character turns out to simplify things very, very much. Turns out to be Lucifer. And Lucifer's design is one of a, uh, a, a person with both secondary sexual characteristics and, and has a, a, a ambiguous gender identity through the signifiers that is, are assigned to them. Uh, and that immediately leaps to mind with what's going on with V2. This is a, a kind of classic sort of like um, very young boys are meant to sort of stand in for a kind of like, uh, brr, I, I'm not sure how Code Geass would be going for it, but I would call it an ambiguous gender identity, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and that sort of thing is a common not signifier that's not the word but like you know for 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 the lucifer that sort of like that the being the most perfect of god's angels is often depicted as this like 
uh, see, I, I hesitate now because I just referred to him as like a small child to use the word seductive. <laughs> but like, you you guys understand when I'm just yeah. Right? I, I think when it you know, especially in we're invoking angels, there's an element of um, sublimeness to them. Not you know, it sure. be so much uh, you know s- seduction in a sexual way, but sort of uh, awesome in the classical sense. Right, sure. That's actually a good way of putting it. I agree. Stephen, can you can you pull me out of this? <laughs> I, I wanted to compliment you, but that is an excellent observation because you might be surprised to know that Okuchi, in addition to writing every single episode of Code Geass R two, handled the writing for uh, Devilman Crybaby. No. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, the writing's I on mean, the wall. The 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 Luch Suzaku thing is very much the dynamic. I, actually, that was something I was going to say earlier, uh, Stephen, when you were talking about how you're not sure if any of the characters in Code Geass are fully realized. And I, I was going to push back a little tiny bit because I do think Luch is pretty realized. I, I think the end product sucks shit, but that, that, <laughs> that's that's just me. You know, I, I do think though that they have a full picture of, and and I think the next episode helps inform that, mm-hmm. right? But you know, as as discussed, <laughs> fuck this twerp. You know, <laughs> like, um, but so we we see we see Emperor Shithead, King Shithead of Britannia, talking to his best friend Lucifer about their plans to kill God, and Lucifer asks him V two to be very clear. I'm talking about V two. <laughs> asks him why 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 didn't you tell not only anything, and Charles is like, mm. and Lucifer is like, all right. <laughs> Like, this is, okay, I'm being a little unfair to this scene, because what it's really kind of gesturing at in my memory is something like scenes in Xenogears, where characters who are in the know speak cryptically so that, because they understand what they're talking about, but it doesn't tell the audience anything too specific. The do you guys agree with that as far as what's going on in that particular scene with, with Charles and, and, and Lucifer? Or do you feel like there's something else you wanted to comment on? I agree. Those scenes, even though I know people have some issues with them on paper, it, the scenes in Xenogears work for me because I'm totally like enraptured by that world, like those floating heads. What, what, are, their, what are their names again? The Gazelle Ministry? Yeah, yeah. or the um, the Sele uh, monoliths from Ava. Those scenes, like even though on paper, like if you were taking a writing class and you like wrote this and like gave it to your professor, they'd take a big dump on you, like I took a big dump on Rolo. But um, here, just because I find the world less captivating or like... I don't. I don't enjoy like this little scene at all, just because Charles fucking sucks and he's smiling and like my blood freezes. <laughs> there's a way to do. We'll talk about Charles more because he starts out episode seven. But there's a way to do that character and to to like be excited. Like fuck yes, I love seeing the shithead on screen. I I can think of characters like that, but. Charles sucks. He he just drains all my energy when he's on screen. I am worried how the show is going to approach the characterization of Charles, especially in relation to V2. I want to learn a little bit more. I'm sure we will learn a bit more about their relationship going forward. I'm curious if it is a consensual relationship, meaning is... Like, has the Britannian royal family, like, chained up these, these like, witches or these, like, magic-prone individuals and is, like, V2, like somehow like connected to all that or is like v2 just like on this the same playing field as charles and they're like friends together that's what i want to know and among other things too i mean it it seems like they're best friends forever it it seems like this might be a situation where 
V2, it seems to at least implicitly agree with Charles's philosophy, but maybe not. Maybe, you know, yeah. I, it, what you're describing is very anime, right? It's very like uh, the the alchemists and the Ishvalan sort of thing, right? Like that that's not uncommon. Yeah. So My headcan is basically the Britannians have like enslaved these people, but we'll see if that bears fruit. I mean that this even it feels like what what C two has implied in in flashbacks before right that there's some kind of bondage thing happened not in the sexy way but maybe in the sexy way also yeah some of that um, clamp art who knows um, the 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 end sequence art is is actually very difficult to parse for me in my in in my expert opinion as a parser um but the uh the the thing that happens next is that um the knights of the round have arrived at the the ambassadorship of the chinese federation uh and the which includes our uh intern gino suzaku and uh anya is anya the the name of the pilot of the mordred yes Yes. okay um uh they've got their fancy color-coded sentai coats on which makes me mad i'm very mad that the knights of the round are sentai coded as well because they suck shit like, I kind of love Intern Gino, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but, like, I'm so mad that the Britannians have a cool, color-coded, like, like night-flavored Sentai team of mecha pilots, and they all suck shit, and I hate them. And especially the one who pilots the Lancelot the most. Like, it's so frustrating. Anyway, it's fine. We'll talk about it later. Anya is playing uh, something. I gotta assume, let's see, what is this, the mid-2000s? Gosh. Oh, it's got to be bejeweled. bejeweled it's got to right? be something yeah. like bejeweled or because, like, I I was about to say, like, I don't know, we're not Angry Birds yet, right? Like, we're not there nah, yet. Well, exactly. around the around the, the decade two thousand nine, two thousand ten, I thought, or and this is Japan too, so she might the, like like I in my mind, I go immediately to fucking Firestarter from Fully Cooly, um, but that might be too deep a cut. Maybe she's playing so, uh, Final Fantasy seven before Crisis on her fancy uh, cell oh, phone. Yeah. Fucking, uh, uh, what was it called? Uh, Pied Piper, the Xenosaga, uh, uh, cell phone game that was about Ziggy. Anyway, they ask Lee Jin K if, uh, if there are any Black Knights here, and he's like, no, we checked, they're not here. Well, I don't know, man, they're just not here. Uh, and, and they're like, well, shit, <laughs> we're, we we tried nothing, we're all out of ideas. Um, but it turns out that, um, cause like Gino, Inter Gino's like, we've been playing, and I was like, well, what, what was the play that they're not there? <laughs> and, and the play is that they can fly uh, and uh, that they're coming for Nunnally. Uh, and this was a... Uh, I kind of wish we could have seen... Like, okay, I'm, I know I've talked about before how we're not the details-oriented mm. podcast. We're not particularly concerned about taking a magnifying glass to the plot points beat by beat. I wish we could have seen um, Zero explain this mission and what he aims to accomplish by kidnapping the Viceroy. Like, I can... I can imagine like a like, oh, we'll have leverage over the Britannians and we can establish the United States of Japan. You know, like I can just I just kind of wish we saw it. You know, I might I might push back against that a little bit because I feel like when it comes to planes that specifically involve like Nunnally in an immediate way, it's always been Lelouch's thing to be impulsive and so, you know, maybe we could have had that scene, but I also think this would have been one of those scenes where he's not showing them all the cards. Of course, he's obviously not showing the that's my sister card, but like even more so than usual with, with the way he presents the plans to the Black Knights. Uh, uh, 
to be completely clear, mm. that's kind of why I want to see the seat. Okay. Like that that to like to be completely what you've touched on, which is that like there isn't a super good reason for this mission <laughs> is exactly why I wanted to see it. Cause like I am, I'm interested in that growing tension of that one lady who's like, Hey, zero, what the fuck? And, and I want to see how many times like it's, you know, we, uh, we tweeted that out the, um, uh, how's, uh, Lelouch going to get out of this one? Ah, well, nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless. <laughs> Yeah, that, I I want to see how far that goes, and maybe maybe the, the monkey's paw has now curled again. Right. Well, I mean, <laughs> we've gone from like four swords to three swords, and we're going to be at two swords soon. So. Oh yeah. yeah. We're down to half swords, man. Yeah. Um. So the Black Knights have launched a sneak attack on the airships that are carrying Nunnally to the 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 SAS. What is that? The, the specially something? administrated zone. Okay, gotcha. Special administrative zone. Um, the airships have, uh, relatively, you know, they, they're, they are prepared, but the Black Knights have accom- uh, accommodated for those preparations with their own preparations. However, uh, despite the early successes of the Black Knights, they are unfortunately surprised by Gilbert Gottfried, who has, who has summoned up a, what is this? A mass-produced version of the Lancelot? Is that what's going on? Is this a? I thought it was a, maybe a because the coloring made me think Cornelia. So I thought maybe it was a Cornelia version or something. Spin off. It it's in the intro. It is. Sorry, a, it is a mass-produced version of the Lancelot. Technically, it's called the Vincent Commander model. You'll remember that the Vincent was the also a mass-produced version uh, that of uh, the Lancelot that Rollo was piloting a few episodes back. Right. We'll see. He's still piloting it because yeah. it'll show up in episode seven. Um, but yeah, no, it, it looks better with this color scheme. The gold is bad. It it looks better with this magenta and blue. This is not your normal sort of color scheme. It's very Britannian. Like we, we see this sort of shit from them all. And maybe it's just cause I'm thinking of Cornelia, but, um, yeah, this is kind of the first interruption, which is that Gilbert Godfrey didn't trust that, um, Calaris part two would be able to handle this, or he didn't trust that zero wouldn't take advantage of this in some way. And so he shows up. And, uh, you know, he's, this is a, like, a mini-boss level of danger, I would say. Like, he's definitely not to be ignored. Like, what is he? He takes out a, a, a couple guys. He's he's not really the, the threat here, though. Um, I thought it was curious in this episode. So, so Lelouch is, is able to success, successfully get on the main airship. Um, and he fucking kills the first couple people he runs into. And I was surprised, not necessarily... He just doesn't, he just doesn't have to, right? Like, he, he definitely could just tell these people to go stare at the wall or whatever. But I wondered if this was supposed to be, like, he's learned his lesson about leaving people around when it comes to Gius's and that it just gets complicated fast. And if sometimes, when it, especially when it comes to enemy forces, just, like, whatever. Like, hey, go go kill yourselves. Like, I what, what was interesting to me about this is that it comes directly before uh Lelouch uses his gears in a completely different way in the next episode um and i guess when we get to that i'll talk to you guys about it then but i was just uh, it surprised me that he went directly to this especially in a world where and i guess that's what he's accounting for is a world where he needs to come back with Nunnally, right yeah like he needs to be bringing her back through maybe that's what he's thinking of i don't know still surprised me uh did you guys have thoughts on this or not really I, I, was, I it's I was surprised that I was surprised in the first place. Maybe the show wants me to like maybe the show wants to signal like 
this time it's like this is this deals with Nunnally, so this is personal for Lelouch. So he he's gonna bury some fucking people. But the show wasn't personal, kid. The, sh- yeah, the no, show totally. wasn't signaling it that strongly, or I felt like that was the intention, or I was supposed to take away that. Yeah, I would say I was also similarly just taken aback by by how direct it was. I think when Lelouch has done things like this previously, it was definitely people who were like. Oh, it's coming to these clowns. I like think of the very first episode of Code Geass when you have someone who's a, who's just gunning, like just committed a massacre, is just about to gun down Lelouch, already shot C two once. You know, it, we felt no no nothing bad about what happens to those folks at the beginning of Code Geass R one or R two. Um, and and this time though, it seems like guy who's like, oh, you know, we just gotta be ready to treat people. Door opens, die. You know, it's definitely right. it's definitely coded very differently. So uh, in this moment, we see that Lelouch has come up with a, a, you know, he sent someone to the control room to assassinate the guards in there so that, you know, there can't be also further guards coming in or what have you. It turns out what these guards do in their last moment is they inform not only that Zero has made it in and that it's Zero who's come into her room since she wouldn't know she is blind. Um, this is a, a dramatic moment for Lelouch, but not one for Nunnally. And, and Nunnally tries in this moment to... I I guess, you know, if I were confronted with a terrorist who was assassinating my royal family members, like, I guess this, I guess this is what I, my, <laughs> my play would be. Yeah, no, totally. Like, PMC, I agree with that face you're making. Yeah, like, like sure, what are you going to do? I mean, well, but I feel like this, this is also the, sort of the point of... Like what? What power does Nunnally have to do anything? And this is it, I guess. Well, so and this is the thing that's that they're trying to pull from in this episode is that like it, it, they have very successfully defeated Lelouch with this move, right? Like just putting Nunnally in this position where she is in fact safe, where she is in fact protected, where she doesn't want for anything. Like, Lelouch is not in, invested in anything else, right? Like, now he needs to change his investment into just straight revenge, right? And that's that's what will be, you know, that process of if he can get there or if he's going to continue deluding himself, I think is the drama they're trying to invoke here or starting to try and, like, deploy, I guess, for is a better word for it. Um, so outside... As the battle continues, you know, Gilbert is an issue, but not one that's insurmountable. Kalen can take Gilbert, right? But then, as things uh, progress a little bit, we see the Knights of the Round have showed up. Uh, so now we'll get to see the Knights of the Round directly confront uh, the forces of the Black Knights. And it's not really close, unfortunately. <laughs> like, it's the, um, the, the Four Swords are not not up to the task like the both both the mouthy guy and unfortunately uh tanbe is that the name of the uh the older gentleman i think it's uh, Sen- senba yeah senba i was close okay um senba is is taken out by intern gino i believe mm-hmm. um uh we also get to see the mordred you know mordred shows off in the intro but we we see just how powerful it is it takes out one of the 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 airships guarding only just in one one shot of its combined quad blazer chest dealy bob uh to the point where gino or suzaku is like great job don't don't do that don't do that again <laughs> please don't and she's like ugh whatever i helped um, come on yeah exactly uh and this is the moment where we see uh uh you know th- throughout the episode we've seen kolaris version 2 
like navigating the whole like ah you know they're they're trying to take credit from me like it's this it's this thing about like the aristocracy or whatever or like military uh uh hierarchy or what what have you where it's like there are certain characters like this who are this is their chief concern and so it we have to be reminded at all times that it's driving their motivations or what have you and he he just gets fucking bopped by Toto, who is he was doing some um uh uh just cause stuff where he's kind of like stealthily hiding from the AI of the game on the side of the floating fortress and using his grappling hook to allow Kalen a, a, a way to get at the flying mechs. And I was like, "Damn, Toto yeah. knows what's up." Knows what's up. I was gonna, actually I, the one I was going to pull out because I was thinking of jamming your sword into the side of something to climb, which always makes me think of Brave Fencer Musashi. Mm. Oh where you yeah, get the swords to climb, you know. That's totally. I bet that is on flavor with Toto and his whole his whole jam anyway. Um, so as that progresses, things are going poorly. We're we're losing Black Knights, not not necessarily as casualties. We're losing mechs essentially. The only casualty I think is is. Uh, uh, oh no, his name it left me oh, it's immediately. Senba. We lose. We definitely Senba. definitely lose Senba. We, yeah, we lost Simba for sure. Everyone he did else, not get to shoot out. Yeah, I think everyone else manages to eject. So, um, and this is before the Lancelot even enters the fray. This is we're just talking about uh, uh, the uh, Mordred and Tristan. Mm-hmm. Um, the Lancelot has a mech starting sequence. This is also the return of uh, the sickest shit Lancelot uh, attack theme. The that 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 is it's sick as hell i it's it's good i hate yeah it's good i hate it it's <laughs> it, it sucks shit how cool it is um but that's okay um this lancelot has the starting screen the z01 lancelot marching ever onward to tomorrow well, i don't know what that any of that is i don't know if that's a quote i didn't i got mad so i didn't look it up <laughs> you know uh i i do love however um Lloyd's smugness, and he has a right to be smug because the Lancelot kicks ass. Um, and I, I'm surprised <laughs> at the on the noseness of the Conquista name for this version of the Lancelot. Like, I really wish they went that last bit and just called it the Conquistador. That would be my preference. <laughs> you know, like, just go all the way as far as like straight colonialism, the mech goes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's fun because I, I, you know, again, the the you know the Lancelot conquist is kind of a new machine, kind of, and and it, you know, I, I'm sorry to say that it rules. I I, I like the um you know uh the something that the the Star Wars prequels introduces is the idea that smaller starships would need like an add on in order to travel in hyperspace, and we see Obi Wan has that add on for his Jedi starfighter, and that's the vibe I get from these flight additions to the the nightmares is that there's something like that and if you look at them that's that is what they look like Mm -hmm. right like like you bought the uh lancelot action figure and later there was like a box set of additions that you could like click onto the back of it um and uh and it it included as that in that flight pack is also a a like secondary firing mode for his green zappy gun I, I know that that zappy gun was uh, powerful, mm. and now it is more powerful. More powerful, yes, yes, and and it's good. I don't, you know, obviously don't like the pilot, don't like the the the, the politics, um, and I, and I, 
uh, you know, definitely don't want Suzaku successful here, but uh, we are a mech podcast, and and I I gotta gotta say this is a good mech, this is a good machine, I still like it. Do you guys have thoughts about the conquest? I do. Uh, I like it a lot too. I'm a little less warm just because you know I like my simplicity on my mechs, and I looked up the schematics. It, so it they added, or I guess <laughs> Lloyd's been busy in these intervening twelve months, and he added a float system and a hadron blaster, which you pointed out, and it just makes the design a little busy for me. It, it weighs the design down. I really, you know me, I enjoy those like s- simple and clean designs. It's like if you added a backpack and like a roll of Skittles to I don't know the, the, my Leo, my my fabled Leo design. Uh, it just makes it a little unnecessarily uh, busy, like I said before. See, it's funny because, and in PMC, I'm going to let you go because I want to hear what you have to say about this. It's funny because what I would still describe everything we're seeing here as well within the realm of real robot. The fact that they, they're going so out of their way to establish like the way that this works yeah. is very real robot, which is important for something that might happen later. But PMC, I'm going to let you go. <laughs> Yeah, I I was just gonna say I, I do appreciate uh you know a sort of modular gun system. I do think that we're we're kind of crossing over into that realm of like when you start adding things on, uh, it makes me think a lot of some of the some of the like the later UC Gundam shows, uh, like when you get like Mega Bazooka add-ons, or and kind of infamously at the end of Stardust Memories where you just have like Tiny Man in giant armor. Um, oh, you know <laughs> that that is those mobile armors are incredible. Yeah, those, those are design, unbelievable. It's, it's peak Tokyo. I love those designs. <laughs> so you know, I, I feel like we're we're going down a sli- like you know. I normally I don't believe in slippery slopes, but like this is the the real robot slippery slope. I we found it. We were going down it again. Um, and the other thing I'll say is, may- and maybe you were about to get there, Ignis, was that the most important thing to me is that it immediately gets upstaged by another robot, which is just the most, like, beautiful moment to me, this whole uh, sequence. Well, so we, the next... I, there, we, I, I, have, I'm, I haven't invoked it quite yet mm. because, I, to me, it's a whole conversation I, I want to have right. about what they're doing with it. Um, but, right, we'll, we'll definitely get there. Trust me. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so the, the Conquest is... It's, it, as expected, you know, Suzaku just fucking cleans up, you know, like it, it is just a whole, he is a Muso character, you know, like he, he can just do, go through waves of waves of people and, uh, you know, short of 1v1ing him mid with Kalben, like he is difficult to deal with, right? Um, to the point where he even disrupts Kalen's fancy pants uh, arm weapon and sends Kalen careening down to her death. And unfortunately, her her escape pod mechanism is frozen up. You know, the Garen is a uh, not a standard machine, and you know the maintenance is probably complicated when Rukshada is not around, right? Um, so it's the worst possible thing that can happen. Everything is terrible. Uh, Mordred is is smushing heads, and in, in a pretty like, <laughs> it, it, you know, it's meant to communicate this character as like she's got a uh, brr, gosh, what's her name? Uh, uh, buh, buh, uh, what is the daughter from Wednesday? She's got a Wednesday Adams mm, kind of vibe okay. going on. Uh, I, I think that's the sort of uh, thing they're trying to communicate. And you can feel that brutality, that sort of Higarashi when they cry, sort of like, I know I'm, I'm Moe, but actually I'm brutal. You know, that, that's the sort of <laughs> thing they always try to do with those characters. Um, anyway, uh, but Kalen is careening to her death. Uh, which is unfortunate because uh, this is a uh, a, a very serious show with very serious tone. 
and that, that means that this character is going to die, unfortunately. So despite her remembering the the figures that she she fights for, the people who are important to her, uh, this is the end for her. Uh, but lo and behold, uh, the best person who would have possibly have shown up shows up at the best possible time. Uh, Rakshada has arrived in a yellow submarine uh, who has successfully, uh, you know, we see a shot here of all the uh, Black Knights who escaped and Rakshada has prepared some some new some new toys and very specifically she provides these new toys by okay so let me paint a, a picture when it comes to certain things so part of the reason I brought up the conquista is as all the effort it goes through to show you how we specifically improved it right and it's in a very intuitive straightforward like how do you make a robot better it flies, right? This is something we even see in Gurn Lagan, right? Gurn Lagan doesn't get the ability to fly until a little bit into its show, right? I, I want to say like, oh gosh, a quarter in, something mm, like that. Yeah. That sounds about right. Um, and so that sort of linear progression is something that's part of mech shows, right? Because this is that, that you know, if mech shows are half like engineer brain and half comic book brain, then this is that engineer brain part of it where you know, it, you see the the parts where the Legos are building on what was there before. And, like, there is a opposite end to this in the real robot scale, right? Like, in real robot, it really is, like, you end up with from the Zaku to the big Zom, right? That's kind of how it works in real robot. Um, and something that they could do in super robot is that... All right. I don't know. Have we... How seriously have we talked about this on the show? And you know what? It's worth explaining again. It's worth explaining mm-hmm. what the difference is between when we say real robot and, and when we say super robot. And you guys can tell me if you don't like my definition. Mm-hmm. That's perfectly fair. For me, the difference between real robot and super robot is that super robot is concerned with robots as emotions and that real robot is not. That real robot is concerned with robots insofar as the straightforward relationship between power and technology and super robot is interested in the relationship between emotions and power that is how i would differentiate between a super robot show and a real robot show um this show code geass is not a super robot show i would not describe it as a super robot show in any regard I don't know if that makes it a real robot show. <laughs> that's, that's messier. You know, as always, categories and genre are nonsense. They're fake, much like numbers and money. Um, but something that's pretty common in super robot shows is that super robot shows have a team, right? You have, often you'll have your uh, primary main character who is the pilot of the robot, and you'll have your secondary main character who's normally a younger boy or girl for the audience to associate with. And then they have a support team. You might, you know, for shows that we've covered, you might think of Gunbuster with Coach Oda and Young Freud and uh, 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 Amano. Um, and you might think of more obviously Gurren Lagann with Kamina standing in as a subversion of that older main character type and Simone as the subversion of the younger relatable character type and the Gurren as the sort of team that supports them. Something that can often happen in super robot shows with teams is that the super robot shows reinforce the super robot by providing new weapons via shooting the weapons at the robot uh, in order for the robot to get them in midair. This is the sort of thing that 
you know, can sometimes, what I like about how Code Geass accomplishes it here is that it's done in a very Hideki Anno, why don't we show thoroughly the mechanics of how this is going to occur. Instead of just having, like, a space station, like, you know, uh, uh, or, you know, it launches out of a base in a city or something like that. Like, that's a another helpful sort of invocation for Super Robot. Like, think about, like, the Green Ranger would call the Dragon Sword with the the flute, and it would like rise out of just some body of water, right? <laughs> like it just somewhere, yeah. it would show, and it would be nearby, the, close enough. The bigger you know? railroad would deliver it. Yeah, perfect, perfect example, perfect example of of the same similar thing. And here we're showing like a in like a Shin Godzilla esque thorough nature of Rakshada's uh, a submarine, uh, and uh, the Guren even prepared for this kind of like uh, uh re-equipping and new equipment we see that the, the you know this is typical of rakshada she's a little bit more aesthetic than lloyd is uh she has created a flight module that that feels like it it's perfect for it doesn't at all look like a cartridge addition to the the guren in the same way that the lancelot does uh you know and to me but, you know, and the way that she gets this new equipment, of course, it's all very super robot. And especially the the tone of this, you are supposed to be, like, incredibly excited that this mm. is happening now. Like, you you are, like, uh, you know, of course, if you're bought in. Let's 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 start with the asterisk. Like you're bought into what the show is delivering this. You're you're like, hell yeah, this kicks ass. And not only that, she's got a flight unit. She's got a replacement arm. She's coming right back into the fray with a, a a cool new theme song, I think. I don't think the Gurren had a cool... Like, this is also a thing with Super Robot. When you start playing the theme song, when the when uh, the best possible moment at the best possible person happens. Like, I, I could be wrong about this. I can't remember what happens the first time the Gurren shows up. Um, And that's the other thing to talk about here is that, obviously, this is still in that vein of invoking the past right like this is more or less the the reveal of the Gurren in the first place as well a, a pretty like a, an outside of the military fiction that you know something like Gundam is trying to gesture at uh this is a very superhero shit like this is it like you know you can even see um Kalen uh apologizing to the Gurren you know like she is uh, uh, characterize the the mech that she's driving in now, which is a super robot thing. You know, like you can recall in uh, and Big O, Big O is characterized at certain points. You know, um, there's uh, Gurn Lagan is shown literally crying at, at Communist funeral. You know, on um, the the Gurn kicks so much ass. Like it's so fucking cool. I love its new arm weapon and how it matches and how it, it just embarrasses the, the Knights of the round. And to intern Gino's credit, he's like, it's not really the new mech. <laughs> like the, the new mech is cool and all, but this pilot just, she just whips ass. <laughs> she is just very good. Like she, he does. He is surprised that someone is as good as a Knight of the round. Um, but he's the one to say afterwards, like, <laughs> fucking damn <laughs> yeah you must you be know. the one that took down orange boy right oh that's when it happens that's yeah right. yeah that's right thank you pmc that is when it occurs 
Um, it's just awesome. I, on one hand, there I am like there is a part of me that's slightly disappointed that the Lancelot just gets so <laughs> just royally crushed the moment it's revealed is 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 definitely embarrassing for Lloyd. <laughs> and like you feel that thoroughly throughout this episode, how like <laughs> Lloyd knows that he's been owned like extremely poorly. Like you can feel that corn cob energy that's uh, or, like surrounding him. Um, but, uh, obviously for Suzaku, there's more important things at stake. We've, we've been seeing throughout the episode that he has some kind of like tracking mechanism on the wheelchair. Is that what it is? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what's going on. Um, and so finally the signal gets through, there's been too much Bluetooth (laughs) <laughs> you know interference and finally the text goes through and wouldn't you know it she's she's right smack dab in the middle <laughs> that seems like something you could have <laughs> i mean you, you know, couldn't have guessed that right that she would just be no. in the middle of her garden in the middle of the ship yeah of course not <laughs> it's, it's whatever it's fine um dude she he needed to be out here doing mech fighting it's fine it's it's totally fine so he rescues her uh the sight of this is upsetting for luch uh, and, and also, he's falling out of an airship, which is also, also upsetting. upsetting. Yeah, uh, uh, and and that's kind of the last beat for uh, turn six. Um, this puts Lelouch in an uncomfortable position, to be sure. Like this is now definitively, he has no choice now but to confront his his lack of conviction in what's going on around him anymore. And and maybe maybe that's what turn seven will will be about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we before we take turn seven. Uh, there is the the incoming airship uh, White Castle that is crashing into my recording studio. Uh, I feel like we should enter it before it fully capsizes. What do, what do you guys Let's say? Let's flee. Go for it. So, what's with that nightmare? Uh-uh. It's all the pilot. I shouldn't have held back on my attack. Well, that's typical of our boy. I'm not surprised. Uh-oh. We have to perfect the conquista, right? So, how is it? I mixed peanut butter with turmeric, sugar, and wasabi paste, then spread it on rye bread. That's typical of you. Time for turn seven. Steven, what's 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 the title for turn seven? The Abandoned Mask. But, fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The leech is at the end of his rope. There really and truly isn't much in the way for him to do anymore, right? Not only is safer than she's ever been working towards what seems like uplifting the Japanese people... What's the point of Zero anymore? What was the point in the first place? He could just as easily slip into his comfortable student life now. He's popular. School is easy for him. Uh, and, you know, because of all this, Luch starts to uh, slip into a deep depression, considering taking refrain to try and cope. Meanwhile, the Black Knights have committed quite a lot to the Nunnally operation, and while the Gurren was a major success, they lost a lot of nightmares. Before long, their getaway sub is detected and things start to seem real desperate. Until finally, a call comes in from Zero. Zero's strategy allows them to waylay the Britannian forces, but to the shock of all, Zero announces and orders the Black Knights to cooperate with Nunnally's planned SAZ, Special Administrative Zone. So yeah, um, I didn't cover the messier details of this one because I wasn't sure... This feels like a very special episode with all those words capitalized, right? Like in the way that we would refer to like, you know, um, that infamous uh, uh, caffeine pills saved by the bell episode or um, 
the episode of Gargoyles where uh, uh, PMC, do you not know what I'm talking about? Uh, Okay, that's fine. You need to keep going here. I'm not getting any of these. (laughs) Okay, that's fine. What about in Gargoyles when Brooklyn accidentally shoots... Uh, I, or not Brooklyn, I'm sorry, Broadway accidentally shoots Elisa with a gun. I really for, cannot gun say safety. if I've ever seen an episode of Gargoyles. Are you, are you, you know, fucking do you know kidding me, Do you know the expression PMC? after school special? Like a Seventh Heaven episode? Like every other Seventh yeah. Heaven episode or Boy Meets World? You, you have to know what I'm gesturing at though, right? Like I, I can't, you, you know the basic idea that I'm talking about where it's ostensibly a dramatic show but they stop telling a dramatic story and instead do something because of, like, I don't know, government funding or something oh, like that. Where it's okay. like, the point is it covers a, like, okay, I'm sorry, okay. you must know what I'm talking about because they're the most famous <laughs> of all the parodies between us of our friendship is is a twisting of these kinds of mm-hmm. uh, after school specials the 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 Fensler film Fensler right. film yeah Fensler film uh, GI- the, the group that did the GI Joe PSA parodies yeah yes PSAs thank you yes yeah. that's what I'm talking okay about. okay okay <laughs> that's this is a refrain PSA episode mm-hmm. um much like oh now I'm getting this is just a callback to the last season one with Kalen though this is like Kalen though but with Lelouch it's a literal oh. and figurative refrain. Oh, man. Anyway, so this one starts. I wanted to talk to you guys about this because I don't get it. And maybe you guys can help me. So this starts with Charles and he's doing the Charles speech, right? Which is a like what I would call an infantile understanding of like power relationships, right? Like to to call it incorrect is maybe not like the worthwhile critique of what's being said here right it's the sort of thing that if you had heard from a teenager you you might get worried because <laughs> that's that's scary to hear from a teenager but like you would also be like well this is like this is a teenager like kind of flexing about how they feel like they understand the world right it's very different when it's like the leader of the world Right, who who is saying like this is the way the world works, and the the proof is I'm here and you're all there, right? And like the more that we like kind of band about about this, the more the the world ends up in a worse place. And like the stuff he's talking about is I would call uh uh ob- objectively immoral. Right, like it is, it is individualist to a sadistic degree. Right, it is, it is like uh, uh, the the self beyond all. To call it like Randian is maybe even like unkind to Rand. And <laughs> like, I am the last person who would ever give a shit about being unkind to Rand. Um, but uh, I think the thing that I wonder about this is that why when they choose to start the episode again, what do you think they're trying to instill in the audience? Do we like does Nunnally hear this? Like, like I assume so because she'll be coming. She she will be. She's like giving a speech almost immediately after this in this episode. I I, I imagine this might even be a speech for her ceremony. No, that's happening later. It looks like it looks like that's like at a school event or whatever. When when we see her give her like, oh, I want to do the Euphemia thing again, but for real this time. Um, but no, I, I, I guess what I want to ask you guys is that, like, do they they understand that, that King Britannia, Emperor Britannia, is the antagonist for Lelouch. But, like, 
when they give the speech again, how do they want the audience to feel, do you think, based off of having finished this episode? Like, I think the goal here is to have to, to place the, the not only acceptance speech and this speech in direct contrast. Because we've we've heard this speech from from King Charles before. This isn't anything new new for Charles. But I think putting it here right at the beginning uh, sets us up to, you know, to re- remember because he says, you know, this is a world where the, the strong devour the weak, the very infantile power dynamic understanding. Not only speech is we need a gentler world. Uh, which exists. That's the thing that exists in direct conflict, right? These two, these two speeches can't coexist, and I, right. I feel like that's one of the things they're doing in this episode. Because then again, they also have them talk directly to each other, and, uh, and I think uh, Charles is like, "Why, why are you doing this?" And the question I feel like we're meant to ask is, "Well, why are you letting her do this?" You know, as I recall, the reason she is in the state she's in is because you had it, you had ordered a hit, and she was caught in the crossfire. I mean, it's, at least that's I think what we're we're meant to that's understand. That's the implication, so, sure. Yeah. yeah, we don't know for sure. Yeah, but yeah, that's the the suggestion. Uh, so you know, it, so it begs the question: What? Why is anyone letting Nunnally do this? You know, I think a few people have thoughts that. It's about, you know, that she does have some kind of power as a sympathetic figure. But, I mean, as far as why we have this Charles speech, I think it's just sort of like, this is the baseline. If we're going to set things up, please pay attention. This is, we're just putting them together. Right. Yeah, the show only wants us to, like, view Britannia as out-and-out evil when it's convenient to, like, bolster Lelouch's character and give him motivation. They don't want you to think about Britannian power structures when it applies to, like depicting euphemia or what the saz means which is uh unfortunate but un- unfortunate but expected at this point in the show this is when i could really use some interiority for not only which we talked about like and maybe they'll have some like bs reason why this is so like i don't know if she's guest or not i don't think she is but i don't really have too much to draw on it's just like i feel it in my bones but like the the, the trauma of the show the sh- the, sh- the trauma that the show is built on directly pertains to Nunnally just as much as it pertains to Lelouch. And I wonder how much she remembers of that. I would assume some of it. I know she's probably sublimated some of that trauma, but like when she goes back to Charles, I'm surprised that A, she doesn't put up more resistance, or I'm curious how that conversation went down. Did she like willingly walk into this thinking she'll carry out Euphemia's last wishes? That's what I need a little bit more context for. Uh, to really flesh out some of Nunnally's motivations. Well, and and I think what you're talking about there, which is that like the the Britannian government is explicitly evil when it's convenient and not at all worth thinking about when it talks about like the way that power structures interact, right? And mm-hmm. that's that's exactly what I was trying to gesture at, which is that like. If you're going to do this thing where it's like, oh, look at this obviously fascistic speech that that is being given, um, and also at the same time tell us that there is a certain honor to what Suzaku is doing, and like, I would need, I would need a lot of convincing for someone to be like, no, 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 they want Suzaku to be explicitly antagonistically viewed at this point. I would need serious convincing at now to be like no 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 i they because not only to me is the one to punch that proves that they they think to a certain degree that that suzaku has some kind of point about what he's doing because mm-hmm. 
what they're framing is the part of the framing of this episode and the the struggle that Lelouch is going through is that like Lelouch has lost the like good reason to do what he's been doing right if there's been like a good reason for it other than the emancipation of the Japanese uh it was that he was doing this this whole charade in order to uh you know help his younger sister right who has been harmed by this cruel world and you know uh now he doesn't have like a good reason to be doing it and the the problem with that though is that and this is where again i get frustrated i go back to my number five point am i the sucker for trying to take it seriously because now we're going to be talking about I mean, to me, this isn't a complicated situation, but the show, by ignoring it, makes it complicated because it reveals a blind spot in the show's, in my opinion, point of view on this whole dynamic, which is to say that it shouldn't, not only should have a better understanding that what she's doing, if she wants to be helpful, like she says she does, then she would understand that the way she's going about this is not actually good. Yeah. That, that like, later when she asks Suzaku, was what Euphemia trying to do, it wasn't wrong, right? And unfortunately, the answer to that, the real answer to that is that, yes, it was. Because she's Britannian. <laughs> like, like it, you cannot, because she's Britannian, she carries with her the context of all Britannian actions. Like, and that changes what she's trying to do. It just does, because... It means that it's carrying with it a certain amount of colonial guilt. And there is a, and a certain amount that the Japanese shouldn't. This is, again, this is going back to the, that that position that Code Geass has, especially R2, because it said it explicitly, which is that because Japan lost twice, it doesn't really deserve. And, like, I, I don't really know. I can't imagine Code Geass's writers really would feel that way. <laughs> like I, this is the th- the part that I have trouble navigating because, like, the idea that it would be a good idea to play along with the oppressive structure that is outright evil that announces itself as outright evil. Um, I would, in a normal narrative, consider that to be like. Oh, they're obviously setting up these characters for some kind of comeuppance. But, like, because of Lelouch's role as this, like, sort of Count of Monte Cristo who is constantly stacking up the pieces so that they can fall and crush him, like, Suzaku and Nunnally need to be, like, on the opposite end of that spectrum. They need to be, like, a a sort of, like, oh... They, maybe that the the reasons why they're doing what they're doing is right, but what they're doing is wrong. Like that's the opposite end of the Lelouch spectrum of what he's doing is right, but the reason he's doing them are very wrong. Right? That's the like that's the the core drama that they're trying to get at with this show. So what that means is that the show, to some extent, thinks that what Nunnally and Suzaku plan to do with Japan as the special administrative air zone or what have you. And not only as their benevolent dictator until Suzaku is their benevolent dictator. Um, the show must to some degree think this is good and correct to do. Right. And, and like, I, I don't actually know for sure because the show's attitude about this kind of storytelling is like, I I would describe it as, and maybe I've done it before as kind of laissez faire, right. Where 
it, it, it is a, a little bit like it, it matters insofar as it needs to exist for the plot to happen, but it doesn't seem to be able to take these disparate pieces and arrive at individual conclusions from them, right? Like the fact that Nunnally doesn't seem to have a firm grasp of the power structure that she represents would mean something in other texts, but I don't, I don't think it means anything here because of the archetype that she represents, right? Yeah, um, there's a few things I want to touch upon. Those are a lot of good points. Uh, I, I wanted to point out this is following a lot, up a lot of my criticism of Code Geass last season. I do think there is a world in which if this show were a more empathetic and b cultivated a more realistic style, there is a way in which you could like argue that carving out a relative sphere of safety in a miserable world could totally work in the right hands. I do not think the right hands are the creators of Code Geass. Um, but the problem is, Britannia is the definition of cartoon villainy, so that takes the air right out of that balloon immediately. The thing I like a little bit more about R2 is it doesn't like rub our face in the politics. It just like lets it happen. The question I have going forward is, do the creators of Code Geass think that the special... And the SAZ is a worthwhile political and moral concept, one that could exist as a counterpart to dissent, or is it just another obstacle in Lelouch's path? In season one, I would have said they think it's like legit and cool. In season two, I'm not so sure. It just might be an obstacle, and that's what I hope it is because it, it, it will go down more easily for me if that's the case, even though I might not be in love with it to begin with, which I am not. Yeah, I think for me, my my only problem is that scene with Suzaku and Nunley yeah. when when Nunley is like, "This isn't wrong, right?" And Suzaku's like, "No, Euphemia wasn't wrong." And like the the problem with that is that Euphemia is explicitly, no matter how we hear Machinations feels, explicitly a victim in that situation. Like she is caught up in something completely by accident that causes the whole tragedy. And so when the show says no, it wasn't Euphemia that was wrong. That is a, a kind of like a, a road sign uh, as far as like textual truth goes, right? And that's the show telling us like, okay, like Euphemia was a victim. And then if that is true, then it, Euphemia wasn't wrong is a thing that the show also thinks is true, yeah. right? So I, I, that's kind of where I'm at with this as far as the SAZ goes. Like I, as a like audience member, as far as the SAZ as an individual pot element goes, I'm kind of with it just because you can very easily see how like the the like enemies you can see are more dangerous than the enemies you can't or whatever or vice versa or what have you. Like you can see where like the the drama of living with the Black Knights is in itself like a interesting concept, you know. Like I, I'm I, you know, obviously this can get irritating fast, but well you know, I'm interested to see how it goes. Yeah, the um, one thing I'm glad have... about is oh, that no. I've... Now, just one quick thing is I feel like there's less knuckleheaded philosophizing in R2. That's all. I yeah, no, I think that's fair. Um just just as a side note, um the the librarian woman who is with not only that's Sayako in disguise, right? Like I'm not like that's definitely that that you know, the the glasses woman who's with Sayako that who's with uh, not only in every scene like that's Sayako, right? She's just Sayako in a wig or yeah, something. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Maybe I, because I, I, obviously the the way the sh- the show is drawn is drawing attention to her, you know. So right, she's somebody. Sayako yes. is probably the way to go. That's- yeah, no, 
in my mind, I had like an archetype of like uh, gothic fiction. Um, this is like a classic gothic story. The uh, the Lord of the Manor House dies. The new um, maybe his like young wife takes over running the estate, and like the old head like maid who is really loyal to the old master like watches in the shadows, and she doesn't like the way that the new mistress is handling things. Sure, of course, yes. Like a you know more not very uh, you know uh, uh, with with uh, you know like a kind of the the Cinderella mother-in-law the you know that sort of I agree that that was also the feeling I got from it. Maybe I'm wrong. I would be happy to be wrong. I'm always down for more uh, 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 you know uh, vampire women from from Capcom. By the way, important important announcement uh, from from Capcom in that <laughs> regard. Uh, Hi, everyone. I'm Tominori Takano, art <laughs> director on Resident Evil Village. I wanted to use this opportunity to publicly reflect on the outpouring of positivity we received from the fans on our latest announcement. As representative of development team, thank you to all the fans that continue to follow us. Most recently, Lamy Dimitrescu and her daughters have received a fair amount of attention, far more than we anticipated, underline, underline, no way that's true. <laughs> it's great that they're able to take the spotlight as icons of Resident Evil Village. Lamy Dimitrescu especially has received much fanfare. If you include her hat and high heels, she is 2.9, approximately 9 foot 6 inches tall. This is an important announcement from Echinations. So anyway, speaking of 9 foot tall women, yeah, uh, we, we, discourse. Cut, we, we cut back to uh, the, the Black Knights who are awaiting you know, guidance from Zero on, on this, because like, what again? What, like, what is what is this? <laughs> like, just some you know, Britannian royal families pulled some fucking princess out of their asses. Although, uh, did Colin know? What does Colin know about Nunnally, if anything? Oh, that's a good nothing. Question. I don't think but, so. But I, she would have known. Like, Nunnally, she knows is Lelouch's little, oh, little uh, sister. She, she knows the the sister connection. Yeah. She doesn't know, um, I guess, the the royal baggage that goes along with that. Um, uh, so yeah. In in any case, here this is we we follow up on the Kaguya thing, and and this is where we have the the Randall Thor's three wives. Uh, you know, we've got C two, we've got Kalen, and we've got Kaguya. I actually <laughs> this this bit where um Kaguya is is appreciative of C two for keeping Lelouch company. Uh, is is uh uh you know obscene for a teenage boy show, but it, I, the characterization for C two felt correct for me that she's like you're welcome, <laughs> like is is exactly yeah exactly she is we know for a fact that nothing regarding C two and her relationships with the people in her life is healthy, so this just goes this just tracks for me. Um, speaking of which, oh you speaking know, of I had a heat oh, check for earlier in the episode. I wanted to get oh sorry uh, a your thoughts. On if you were Team Rivals or Team Shirley, in regards to what is more interesting, a in a thousand year old temple or uh, water pistols. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, I don't know. Gosh, I might steal Steven Sunder a little bit here because I'm I'm a huge nerd, and I would kind of want to see the thousand year old okay. temple. Sam, um, I just played but, Fallen Order. That's like that's um, Fallen Order. All right, all right. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm sorry. I guess then you know what, Stephen. I, I'm, I'm going to change my vote <laughs> in that regard. I mean, look, I can rep Team Water Pistols alone. It's fine. You know, I, I think in the long run, the Water Pistols would beat the Temple. 
you know? I just... Oh, I mean, that is for sure true that Water Pistol is stronger than Thousand-Year-Old mm-hmm. Temple. I'll give you that one. Um, did I also miss when Lelouch um, cracks his phone in half with his twerp strength? No, that's later. <laughs> I, that's okay, later, that's later. yeah, because we, okay. we start to get to... the Lelouch has a normal one. So, yeah, Lelouch is... Oh, yeah! What? I'm... Mm, that's fine. Okay. I forgot that Lelouch does have a normal one, and it's kind of... What is... Mm, it's fine. We'll get He's, there. Oh, yeah, uh, we'll get there. Yeah, so uh, we have a, a Kaguya uh, uh, chemistry scene. C2 has healthy relationships with the people in her life. Uh, we'll get back to that in a bit. Um, and we see that... Uh, we saw earlier that Cecilia was visiting Gilbert Gottfried in the hospital. I, I don't know if these two have a relationship as much as just Cecilia being nice. You know, she just seems like the sort of person who might visit someone in the hospital and and bring some some cooking. Um, I uh, it, it's talking about moments where we laughed aloud. I was I thought it was very funny that Lloyd just took that man's food. Well, <laughs> and the moment where I'm sorry, I go thought ahead. it was just hospital food, and then it turned out to be uh, what was it an established gag in the first season that Cecile would do like cooking stuff or I was it. There was something with sure. Lloyd and food, like, maybe twice. Okay. I would hesitate to call it, like, a reoccurring gag, but, yeah, it definitely exists in the text. I mean, the best part of this for me personally was that my, my partner immediately said, I would have made that. And so, <laughs> and I was like, oh, good luck. <laughs> I mean, like, it, the thing about it is that, like, even if it wasn't previously established, this is like a, like, you know, it, it uh a flaw that a woman character can have is that they're unable to pre- to pre- prepare food like that seems like the gag here is like oh lloyd doesn't know social but cecile she can't cook food right like the, what i appreciate in that moment is uh gilbert uh he he reacts when lloyd takes the food and my first reaction was like this motherfucker stole my food but re- <laughs> the gag is actually i i must warn you <laughs> this is a uh Roshiu nia situation and, and i <laughs> oh, appreciate yeah, yeah. that um the yeah no we let's talk about lulich's normal one what what What's happened? What what is <laughs> okay? So I'm I'm ready to accept the reality that that Rolo prepared a, a number of of things to occur in a in in a row here, right? Where uh you know he was like, okay, gentlemen with flyers, he, he, you can walk through this area, and this will be a place with many of the flyers already up, and I'll start playing a recording of the thing. My question to you is why what 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 is this what is rollo why is rollo doing this um and and i i'm not really so i i don't expect any of you guys to necessarily have like the answer Mm. because this feels like something they're building up right this feels like because rollo is is back later on the other side of this to be incestuously supportive right uh, and so it feels like Rolo is a- attempting to do what Lelouch did to him, right? Which is to, like, trap him in an emotional corner, right? Um, but that doesn't pay off in this episode. This is just, we could just clearly see that that Rolo is inducing a normal one onto Lelouch. Um, to, to, to what? Maybe because funny? <laughs> like, I, I, you know, the, the, I was certainly laughing a lot in this episode. Um uh, but we see here that Suzaku is leading a a mission uh, to to uh, 
I, I mean, my assumption is that he knew that somehow this was a, a, a Black Knight scenario. Uh, I can't imagine he's leading every single Coast Guard, uh, you know, mission, right? Like, I, and I don't even know if that's... I don't know how any of that shit works. <laughs> like, I, I assume the Britannians, like, like royal knights are kind of like Darth Vader and, like, he is his own command chain, you know? <laughs> chain of command, rather. Um, but, uh, you know, he they catch the Black Knights and the Black Knights are basically stalling as much as they can until Lelouch... You know, time is kind of squishy in this episode, um, I don't know if everything is supposed to be happening simultaneously or if this is like an Empire Strikes Back situation where Luke arrives on Dagobah and, and the meteor thing seems to happen within like a few hours, but Luke appears to be training on Dagobah for a while. You know what I mean? Like that that's not something that bothers me. It doesn't matter. It's a movie. Like it, it, it's not important unless the movie tells you it's important. Um, So Luke is still kind of a, he's a, He's bummed, you know, he had a normal one. He's he's wandering around. He he runs into um like uh like I don't know, mean setzer from Final Fantasy VI, and his goons are are here uh to to collect money from a, another Japanese man who needs a refrain. Uh and uh Lelouch uh as compared to the last episode, uh chooses to use his GS on these men, but but not to kill them, uh to like embarrass them uh, or something like again this is like weird uh you know to to contrast with the 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 pizza fetish episode like this is like non-sexual humiliation that's going on here like all this is very like cartoony sort of just like you must obey my straightforward command like i don't know he tells setzer to do push-ups and and he tells like another guy to howl like that's the closest it gets to like a weird fetishy sort of thing is the dog guy right yeah, um, it almost feels had, like a. Go ahead. I had one note about this scene because this scene could have like worked in another show, or if they deployed it differently. Like here, we have a Britannian crime lord, and he's taking advantage of a group of, and I quote from the dub at least, consenting Japanese. And Luce uses the term consenting well, earlier. He could see himself in that Britannian crime lord and take the time to reflect. That could totally work, especially if they wanted to do something like Gurren Lagann, Simone's like despair arc. Totally take a few episodes do a real deep dive into his actions. But they play up the scene, I think, for gags, like you mentioned, and it falls completely flat. I, see, I don't, I, I'm not sure if it's for gags, per se, but I, I don't think it, they can land what they're going for if if he just fucking murders people in the last episode. Right? Yeah. If he just, like, if he uses this and, and it is, like, disrupting the agency of these men in a way that would be offensive to our sensibilities, then I think it accomplishes what they're trying to do, which is to show the extent at which Lelouch has gone unfrayed, right? Mm-hmm. But he he tells people to fucking shoot themselves in the jugular all the time. Like, that is, like, almost, ca- like, cartoonishly cruel. <laughs> like, it is... And so, like, this doesn't really... This doesn't do anything for me. Like, and and him doing his Lelouch laugh at the end. I don't. I don't know if it, it it quite accomplishes like many things in this episode. If it quite accomplishes what they mean to to set out to do, because I I think this episode takes for granted that Lelouch is a more similar type of young man protagonist than he actually is. And and I think a lot of this episode works on a logic that that would only function in a more typical type of show. Um, so 
I'm going to skip some of the action beats moving on here because it's mostly the, the Black Knights are like, oh, fuck, ah, oh, shit, ah, oh, oh, God, God damn it. Yeah, um, but something important does happen here because we see um, that C2 is having a conversation um, and we've seen her have these one-sided conversations before, but I believe, you can, can correct me, I believe this is the first time we've heard who she's talking with. Is that correct? Is it? I thought. Oh I, God! I thought. I thought we did get a hint that it was Marianne, or maybe we just guessed that. You know what? Because see, I, when I heard it, I was so convinced that we already knew that. But like, maybe that's just something we said. So, so that's the thing I wanted to confirm is that I know that we kind of knew that, mm. but but I what I can't remember is that if we knew knew that or if the show told us that. I I can't remember. But this is a, one of the at least in season two, the first time that we hear. That C2 is talking to Marianne, or at least thinks she's talking to Marianne, but considering that C2 is real magic, I, I wouldn't be surprised if she is somehow talking to Marianne. Again, I want to invoke her the very healthy relationships she apparently has, because as we as we know for a fact Lelouch does not know that C2 knows Lelouch's mother in some way. I, I don't think uh, Lelouch is privy to any prior relationship between his family and C2. Um, that I'm sure, I'm sure C2 and Lelouch's mom have a, had a completely healthy relationship. I'm sure that C2, uh, it is not like basically, uh, Lelouch's stepmom. I'm sure that's not uh, like a dynamic and that, uh, uh, Marianne is basically a C2 ex. Um, we check back in with the normies, uh, just to show that they're, that, uh, uh, fucking, Lelouch and uh, Rolo, I guess. Can you imagine rating up for Rolo? I sure can. I know. Uh, uh, are waiting up, and it's because uh, uh, Lelouch has decided to go um, <laughs> threaten to take heroin um, or uh, fake heroin. Uh, and I laughed so hard <laughs> when he's when he's got the little thing to his arm. I was just because okay, this is obviously very serious. We are meant to be taking this very seriously that he's been driven to a very dark place because Japan is uh, uh, hilariously childish when it comes to narcotics of any kind um, uh, in a way that is, by the way, regressive and definitely not helpful. Um, but this is meant to be and like, uh, you know, in in uh, uh, American or in Western quote unquote media, we do this all the time, right? Like if, if a character is taking heroin or anything you need to inject or burn, like that's regarded as a, a signifier for someone who is very far gone. Um, but Kalen has come to interrupt Lelouch's, his, his pity party. Uh, and, uh, this is meant to convey the depths of his despair. And also as I kind of called out to, to reflect the Kalen episode, um, I don't know. Did you guys? I, I, I maybe I've given away that I, I didn't necessarily uh, buy the the emotional stakes that they're trying to set up. That I'm I'm having fun at Lelouch's expense a little bit during this scene. Yeah, I kind, um, I kind of think Lelouch in in the same way that in other contexts we're shown Lelouch to be comedic. You know, when he tries to do athletic things, when he tries to you know do anything like that, it almost feels like that same kind of energy is visually present. Where I would I would half expect you know, if if a different character walked up, they would say like, "You're using that wrong," you know, <laughs> <laughs> something something to that effect. Just because exactly he looks so ill at ease 
with any of this. Like we can we understand what the show's communicating about Luge being in a dark place, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the the you know, the history and the character of Luch is such that when you when you see this flailing about with these things you still kind of think of him as the as the dweeb first before you almost like and you're like all right i need to put that aside and actually think about the character moment i guess right right and and you know if i'm being 100 percent fair here which i always like to do here on machinations i i know that i have friends who are fans of code Geass who find this and the upcoming moment with the interaction with kalen to kind of be an expression of the conflict in Lelouch, that that the tenderness that he feels for Suzaku and the way that it's not allowed to be expressed in the sort of status quo of their culture is expressed here in a awkward sort of begging for sex that he does here. I, this is me imposing my read on what's going on here, but I and and I'm also being indelicate, but. The phrasing uh, that they deploy here makes me think, you know, the, the, you know, the, what does he say exactly? That they're, that women have a way of comforting or something like that? Yeah, first he says, like, you know, I I console me and then, and then I think he uses the phrase you just said, comfort. Uh, Yes, like, yeah, women have a particular way or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And Kalen, you know, before... A, a dramatic kiss can be had. Kalen gets a big smackaroo on him. Not a kiss smackaroo, like he slaps, she slaps him. Uh, and she basically is like, uh, I know that you don't give a shit anymore, but uh, I kind of just need you to pretend, to continue to pretend, like, please, you know, just kind of role play, role play me daddy a little bit is what's going on here. Uh, and like, she doesn't, I'm going to be 100% fair to Kalen because she's the only character in the show that I like. Uh, she is, if there is a romantic tinge to this, it is like, I don't know, 6%, 10%, something like that. That is there. That is an angle mm. that is there for Kalen. If not for the Luch, definitely for Zero, right? Um, but what she is gets out here is is not like pull yourself together for your own health. It is pull yourself together because we we need you to function. And we need you to be Zero all the way. And specifically zero for us and not for your sister anymore. You know, your your sister is the bad guy now. And we need to figure out a way to deal with that. You know, and like, is this a little bit naive on her part? A teensy-weensy bit. I, I do think it's curious that he, it seems like in the moment where she runs off, that he would have chased after her if not for Rolo Tony Browntown showing up. Um, But Rolo Tony Browntown does show up. And... I will say to Kalen to to round this out. Kalen, it feels like also considers going back to Lelouch, but it ultimately chooses not to. Mm-hmm. Um, and which gives Royal Tony Browntown a chance to be, you know, himself. I, I you know, I, again. So this scene here, and particularly the the shot at the the end of their confrontation and the way that he approaches him, like this is definitely meant to invite. Ah, you know, untoward sorts of invitation, you know, speculation from the fan base. I'm not saying that the the show thinks that these two are smooching or whatever. I'm just saying that they understand how teenagers work, and they know they might like this. They they might like this weirdness. So why not? Because hey. 
they're they're not even really related. They're you not know? really siblings. Not not really. Not really. And and that I can't shake. I can't help but shake that feeling. You know. Um. So we do have. I don't even want to fucking talk about the call between Charles and Nunnally because there's no mm-hmm. there's no conclusion to be drawn from. I don't it think at so all. either. Yeah. Like which is it's just so. I I want to shout out what Stephen you were saying before is is that like to to not even understand fully how Nunnally feels about Charles is so frustrating. Like it it is a very straightforward question for her character to need to answer in order to be in the place that she's at and like we're not getting it. It doesn't maybe I'm wrong and we'll get it later. I don't I wouldn't be surprised if we never do. Yeah. I don't did you guys have something you wanted to say about that scene? No, this is it was a big nothing scene for me too. Some of the imagery which you you two mentioned earlier is just so incongruous incongruous with what we know about the characters like Lelouch injecting refrain they want to elicit certain emotions from the audience but the image of lelouch doing that is just so like ridiculous for lack of a better term that the scene doesn't land tonally or emotionally same with him like forcing himself on Kalen not to do not to compliment lelouch it just doesn't seem quote-unquote in character it seems too forced Charles calling up Nunnally on a video conference also just I can't imagine Charles calling anyone on anything be it a phone or a video device or webcam it just I, it doesn't make any sense to me it just it's too incongruous with what i know about charles which is very little but he's he is what he is he's a big evil maniacal shithead well this is part of why i ask on the, on the topic what what do they want us to take away from this speech because like in again with in combination with that scene with Nunnally, like you're totally right to point out how it's just it's so weird that he's doing this like it's hard to guess like what his motivations could be if you're considering it from like the what he would want politically versus what would be you know useful for the plot uh we got a scene here that i like where kalen is like you know what maybe i'm zero <laughs> like you know what fuck it like if if luch isn't gonna be there like i you know i'm the pilot like i, I you know i i can't do them them thinkums as good as he does but fuck it maybe we don't need it um I just appreciated that the show allowed that to be something that entered into the character's possibility space. Like, there are a lot of shows, a lot of mecha shows, where that wouldn't have been, you know, on the table so much. Like, I, I don't think there was, you know, as much as I'm complimentary towards Gurn Lagan and Yoko and Gurn Lagan, like, I don't think there's ever a fucking moment where people considered Yoko the leader of the guy Daigarendon, even though she is just as important as any of the people who became leader of the Daigarendon, you know? Just saying. Mm-hmm. Uh... So we get to my least favorite part of the episode, which is this um, school days bullshit where uh, we have Lelouch uh, and he's he comes back to the school and, and it's like, wow, the, the fireworks are going, but I thought everyone would be gone. He even says to Rolo, like, ah, yes, a solitary prison. That's perfect for me. <laughs> An empty birdcage. I love yeah. it. And, and so they're, they're launching fireworks on the, on the roof, on the roof, on the ceiling. Uh, and, uh, so this is a pretty standard for a show about youth, you know, and, and like the passing of, of youth, you know, into the adult world to like have a moment where the character loses sort of faith in whatever path they're, they're leading and to need some kind of reinstillment, some kind of, you know, reinforcement of their determination, right? Like they need something and it's usually, you know what, they're friends and, and what their friends stood for. Um, and the, the, the old, you know, sort of like good old days. 
and and this is definitely invoking that right like we, like, like Lelouch is oh man our friends st- like stuck around because they they would rather have our presence than be in the cool place uh, and he and he looks and he sees the empty spaces of where the the people that they used to congregate with you know the like Nunnally and Kalen and Nina and Suzaku and Arthur and and Lelouch starts to go on and on about the the you know a glass lens and and how you know you don't notice the what's what's missing in a glass lens until you look at it through a certain point of view and uh, fuck all of this this is just so disingenuous this is just incredibly uh, ill-fitting it's just not it, it's just not right for the show this is not the sort of character i you would have to pay me an enormous amount of internet dollars to convince me that lelouch even knows nina's fucking name like it, like <laughs> I, I i don't mean to be so dismissive but like like i think this what this gets at for me this might be a little bit personal for me because i i also find people who are like this to be deeply frustrating who who take other people for granted but still demand their presence right don't have any actual interest in who they are and what they want or what they dream but need them to be around like an action figure to complete the set i i find that kind of shit so obnoxious right and and so for Lelouch to be sitting here daydreaming about like like i just like why would he miss suzaku like why why would Suzaku ever be a part of this picture other than like oh it was nice when I didn't have to <laughs> like think about the realities of our relationship. Like again like does he even know Nina? <laughs> like does he, was that someone who was on his radar other than like this is just like it's so hard for me to take this on its face. It strikes me instead as sociopathic, right? It strikes me instead as like oh I used to have a, an idyllic thing that I could keep in this like glass bottle like the the city of candor or whatever and keep it exactly as is while also doing exactly what i want right i used to have both and now i i don't have both and like i don't know what is this doing here why does this work <laughs> like what 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 is this okay to to summarize my outrage mm-hmm. so that we can i because i want to hear from you guys how you felt about it i to me this would make perfect sense in most other shows but does not fit here at all and doesn't for me? I don't understand how this reinforces the Lucha's resolve. Did, did, you, did this track for you guys in any way? How did you guys feel about this? I it doesn't. The, oh, go ahead, go ahead, Steve. It doesn't land for me because, like you said, uh, Rolo and Lelouch are not deserving of this, so it just seems too forced. I hate to re- like regurgitate my previous complaints, but that's essentially it. It's unearned on the part of Lelouch because I really dig scenes like this that gives off some like very end of summer vibes. Uh, Tenchi Muyo and Tenchi Universe had a lot of scenes like this where it was like the last summer, last festival of the summer, and a bunch of friends got together to celebrate and reminisce and just you know be be friendly and be young with one another one last time and. It doesn't land here because Lelouch doesn't really give a shit about any of them. He spends the entire show manipulating them, and there's no reason why any of these characters should give Lelouch or Rolo really a second thought. They should be going on their fun school trip. I think Okuchi's point here is that I think he wants this scene to work retroactively with against whatever happens later on like this is the calm before the storm and like i said before there's probably gonna someone's gonna die or there's gonna be a bloodbath because when lelouch says i swear i'll do this again with all of you clearly he's never gonna have that option again it's just that that doesn't land emotionally because lelouch is such a manipulative bastard not worthy of this type of uh devotion 
Yeah, the thing I was going to add is really just going to going to build on it that the, the scene undermines itself when it takes the time to highlight once again uh, the you know the the injury done to Shirley because she goes on about the paper cranes and it's like oh yeah let me re- let me reminisce about our fondness about how you don't remember how you learned to fold paper cranes uh, which you know it I think if you're paying attention to the scene should put you in the mindset of being unable to take Lelouch at face value when Lelouch says, oh, you know, we have all these wonderful memories, this happiness. It's hard. It's it's difficult. Cause, and then the scene puts you there, too. I think even if you do take it at some kind of, you know, face value. It's, I, I just, for me, I just don't understand because, like, these are Britannian students. These are not even, like, Japanese students. He, this, how how does this, reinforce what him needing to be zero or or with the black knights or and maybe that's something that's gonna unfold maybe i'm not supposed to see because he he does say like this isn't about nunnally anymore and and we don't get to see what that then means it is in fact about because this is about when things come to a head like at that, that moment lelouch uh i guess finds the pieces of his cell phone and very quickly MacGyver's that in, into a headset and then stands on the, the edge of town with a map and yells at them about, uh, what is this, a methane? Yeah, the secret methane that's there. Me- it's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the methane processing thing that's there. Sure. Sure. sure why not? <laughs> like, that's fine. Um, I, I was, uh, 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 you know, intrigued by the defeating of, uh, Britannia with, um, like soda bubbles or whatever. <laughs> like, that's fine. I'm into it. Um, Toto looks like an absolute boss, by the way, standing on the, uh, submarine deck just with his, like, sword at, leaning on his sword, like, st- standing defiantly as he's issuing his orders. Uh, total boss. Yeah. Toto's cool. Toto's cool as hell. Using the, the katana as his, like, cane almost there. Yeah. yeah I agree. It's cool as hell. It's a it's a Luke as as the kids would say L E W K, um yeah so zero is here and uh, he he uh, is there on the Vincent and he's there to give a proclamation to participate in the the special or ordinary zone, uh and that's that is a, episode seven cuts off very literally right there like we don't even get to really see people react, um so yeah I I mean. Uh, hopefully episode eight. Okay. This is what we've learned about zero. Uh, zero does not give explanations for, uh, why he does things. So I'm, I'm looking forward to not really receiving an answer, an answer to what it is all about now. If it's not all about Nunley, you know, maybe, uh, uh, the, uh, what I'll next episode I'll tune in and zero will be like, everything I do is for the good of Japan or, or something like that. And then I'll be like, oh. <laughs> all right sure well if toto says we have to move on then we have to move on uh but i will say uh episode six was awesome uh i'm i am a sucker uh i know that all you have to do is is literally in the last five minutes include just the teeniest hint of super robot and and i'm otherwise completely entertained but you know uh seven in fairness to it took some big swings there aren't a lot of, like, I would say that this is fairly common for Mecha. Mecha will often put its young male protagonists through the ringers in this way. I, I don't 
know if Amaro ever took new type heroin. I don't think so. I haven't read all the Tamino prose novels though, and those are apparently pretty edgelordy, so it wouldn't surprise me if if there was like uh I don't know, new type plus plus and it you had to like take it and it gave you like uh it, even less gravity than in his in space, so your mind is in like supercharged. I don't know. I haven't read those stuff, so who knows? I don't know. Do you guys have any? Do you guys have any predictions or any any sort of like hard takes about what joining up with the special administrative zone is going to mean for the future of the Black Knights? I need to know if this is a long con on Lelouch's part or he's really going along with it. It could go either way. Sometimes he does throw us a curveball to his credit, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure if there's going to be a fracturing because it seems that the Black Knights are clearly not going to go along with this. They're clearly not happy. And just based on the episode preview, it seems they're going to either rebel against what Lelouch is trying to set up or if they're working with Lelouch against uh, the specialty, specially administrated zone. So I, I have to see to make firm judgment at that point. I think for me, the my concern is that, uh, and this is picking up on what Stephen Hero said, I was one of the things I wrote at top of my notes was, uh, are we still in a retread? And if we're still in a retread, then I think we're gonna we're gonna encounter a bloodbath soon of some kind. And this follows again from the idea of this being a calm before the storm. Um, so we'll see. You know, I, I think right now I'm kind of expecting there to be some wrinkle, some magical wrinkle. I feel like we haven't had a magical wrinkle since the introduction of Rolo's powers for the last real big magic wrinkle maybe the news that we need to kill god but like i always take that for granted so it's not a wrinkle sure. for me <laughs> yeah um, exactly no no totally yeah so but like i feel like we haven't had a magical wrinkle since and i feel like those guys those get dropped off occasionally you know certainly they were in season one uh and i just feel like we're gonna get that so we're due for magic here's what i want i want Nunnally to be the primary antagonist now that's what i want I don't think that's what I'm going to get, but that's what I want. We'll see, though. We'll see uh, next week on Mechanations. A, I think next week will actually be episode 90. Holy shit. Episode 100 is coming up on us, boys. That is horrifying. Um, we will be covering episodes 8 and 9. Um, will we get mad? Will we get glad? Will there be more Super Robot or less? We will find out next week. So hopefully you will join us. Uh, if you want to reach out to us, you can catch us on Mechanations Pod on Twitter. And also you can email us at mechanationspod at gmail.com. I was your host, Ignis Maddox. Steven Hero. PMC Trilogy. And you can catch us next time when uh, the boys launch some new weapons for me out of a submarine. Pew-pew! Oh goodness. Oh man. I got so I got chills when when intern Gino called him orange guy. I was like, oh my goodness. Anyway, I was going to introduce us to Oh no, I'm looking at the wrong rubric, you guys. Oh my goodness. This is why you label things. Everybody else is looking at the right rubric. Anyway, cut all this out, PMC. Cut all this. <laughs> oh, I didn't finish my Coke yet. Shit. I'm envious. I have no soda in the house right now. I was, uh, 
people buy m- milk and bread and i'm like give me give me your 12 packs give, give me all yeah, of them here's here's going after the soda just gosh <laughs> <laughs> oh no oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah that is part me, of yeah. it too there's <laughs> the second half <laughs> no i'm not this terrible virginia person <laughs> crunch <laughs> that turtle is like a legend of zelda trap like, with its reactions jesus all right all right fuck that turtle or rather don't <laughs> all right where do you get all these terrible gifts you know what i don't want to know i'd rather keep that arcane you can keep that secret all right keep your secrets gandalf 